0: Welcome to The Conversation Podcast, brought to you by Recover8 on the Inside Dirt Network. All right, guys. As promised, uh, welcome to this special uh, podcast coming to you on the Inside Dirt Network at the AME Management Studios. I'm here with uh, Adam Bailey and Ryan Sanderson. And uh, pretty cool up here in your awesome poor Melbourne setup and the, the upper floor here. It's real nice, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Joe. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. Thanks for thanks for coming. It's definitely uh, hasn't always been this nice, but the last couple of years we've been in this one. That we, as you heard, we started in a in a little dungeon around the corner with no
0: phone reception, so we're pretty stoked in this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did hear a lot about the dungeon back in the day at different times. Um, so the journey, like you just talked about there, that's something we're going to speak of a lot in this this little pod. Um, I guess, special episode, we could call it. The Business of Motocross is what we're going to officially title it as, but um, there's such a, a broader spectrum of topics that we're going to cover, essentially, and, and I want to thank you first, Adam, for reaching out and kind of getting this ball rolling. It's it's a pod that I've wanted to do for a long time um, as far as kind of educating riders on, on what it takes to, you know, making it is such a cliché term, and I don't like to use that term, but how you as a rider or an athlete even a driver you know you guys have a big reach into different disciplines how you can create uh, some value some some self-worth as a personal brand that you know let's be honest a lot of guys in the motor industry right now are saying that it's hard to make money you know we're not getting paid enough by the teams there's no rides there's no prize money whatever whatever um taking some responsibility for themselves and, and hopefully we can give those athletes some tools from this podcast to maybe uh to learn a little bit and, and listen to our stories of where we all came from and and you guys are a prime example of how a lot of hard work can can take you from being an athlete yourself Adam as a racer to where you are now right
1: yeah I appreciate it yeah I think um, I think motocross or supercross is, is a little bit of a metaphor for our businesses in general at the moment which means you have to work harder and smarter you know to make money it's just the way it goes so. I think there is a little bit of a misconception out there uh, for riders, just sort of see it as the only way to make money is through being a paid factory rider, or that's the only that's the only way to make a career in this sport. But it's actually not the case at all, and um, and we sort of feel that there's a greater opportunity than ever to to potentially make a career in this in this sport and this this um, I guess business, and and probably that you know riders um, and even the teams can look at themselves as a business more so than they have you know? I think that there's probably been a, the focus on racing and racing is obviously number one and you know, and everyone wants to win but at the same time treating it more like a business is probably where we feel like that, that's lacking. There's definitely opportunity for riders to treat themselves more like businesses and teams to treat themselves more like businesses and actually return some money, make some money and make a real career out of, out of this sport and we, we certainly think that's possible. Yeah I agree
0: and I think in this day and age like what was the old adage it was like what wins on Sunday sells on Monday right and I think, I I have a lot of crazy comparisons with like the motorsports world or the athlete world to like music. And I think back in the day, if you weren't on that select few teams and you had a budget to go racing, I don't know, let's say, when did you come up? Early 2000s, mid 2000s, right? If you weren't on those select teams that had a budget and a paid ride, you could hustle a shop deal or you could do whatever, but basically you weren't going any further. That was before social media before you had a platform where mainstream media back in the day was magazines and and essentially some delayed TV coverage of, of the racing right mm. um, now you have your own marketing machine and I'll, I'll put it up right here mm. it's a phone yeah. like every app every social media platform you have access to create a, a personal brand that's strong enough to leverage not just free product but eventually financial sponsorships and, and as your career progresses um, which is heavily underutilised or furthermore I don't think a lot of the guys are doing enough to they're afraid to show a personality um, everyone's trying to be Ken Roxon and thank their sponsors on the podium but where's the individual story that's going to have your followers become fans
1: yeah totally and I think that's you hit the nail on the head I think at one stage you had to win because it's the only way you'd be seen you would never make it onto TV if you weren't on the podium you didn't make it onto TV you didn't make it into the magazines and that were the only two ways that you got seen by anyone but right now you can be seen instantly yourself. You can create your own channel, create your own exposure, create your own content. And, you know, the guy coming 10th or, or even 15th can be just as popular and, and get just as many eyeballs on him as the guy winning now. And that didn't used to be the case, but I think that people are sort of missing that opportunity That that is that is the case. And it's, I mean, it's helped us with our events even. I mean, our very first AuzX Open in 2015 sold out in 10 days and it was really social media that did that It was we created great content and, and had um, you know a lot of great marketing and ideas and things like that but social media was the machine that that enabled it to gain momentum and for people to know that this event was happening without us even spending a dollar in television at the very start you know so that opportunity is there and it's the same in as a racer or as a team that if, if we can somehow educate these guys on how to utilise it and how to realise that and sort of Flip it back to putting them back in control of their own brand and their own channel, for lack of a better term, then we honestly think that there's good business opportunity out there for
2: them. I, yeah, I was just going to say I think like the Dean Wilson example this season in particular is one of the best because he, he was making so much off his merchandise and obviously got such a large following without needing to necessarily have that factory ride at the start of the season then picked up the factory ride throughout the season. Mm. Um you know, is a great example in that world championship of of that I think because it's not just about the race results. He's one of the most popular riders now, arguably, you know, in Supercross. And he's built a lot of that around his personality and and what what he's done, you know, even our launch with him this year, you know, for the Oz Open was all just a gag and Dino Dundee's sort of a real yeah. play on his character and just getting it out of there and that's pretty unique, but also it should be heroed as something that all athletes should aspire to be like because if they can show their personality and they get that following out there, even if they are a privateer on the world stage, they can be as popular or as successful as others. Yeah, I,
0: I definitely agree. And I think you saw with Dean, um, he's he's definitely grown as the Instagram and, and the social world's evolved, so is he. But I think once you saw him maybe lose the factory rides, the, the light bulb really went off where it was like, hey, I... Sort of, I don't have that corporate scrutiny as much anymore, and not that I think there is that much with the teams, but I think the riders maybe perceive that they have to be careful with what they say or what they do. And when, when did he have that first privateer deal with the Yamaha's? Was that seventeen or eighteen? I can't uh, remember now. But yeah, started seventeen. He was doing his own thing, and then you really saw him come out of his shell. Mm. Um, that's a business model that a lot of guys should should hope to emulate, in my opinion. But okay, let's run with that to start with, then. So. How does, you you say, Dean Wilson is that example, elite rider, AMA champion, you know, in the top percentage of of guys in the world on a motorcycle. You've got your local state level racer that's doing MX Nationals, he's doing some Australian Supercross, you'll see him at OzX Open, whatever. He's the same guy that his parents are on Facebook or, you know, the keyboard warriors that you see so much of nowadays. I mean, I was reading some stuff this morning that just blew me away, but... See it every day. I'm sure you guys are not immune to it. But um, let's let's use that guy as an example. He's a young privateer, and he's trying to establish himself, get a personal brand going, get some. He's just looking for free bikes some fuel money to get to the rounds. Someone to cover his sponsorships. It's a very open ended question, but for yourselves, working with brands, working with sponsors, where does that individual start?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the very first place to start is that is right back at the start, very, very back, you know, before even the start, which is them understanding why people would give them anything. Mm. Like I think it was actually he was U actually said to me right at the start years ago for me when I was racing and he said, Adam, no one's gonna give you a bike just because you race or because you thing and I was like, fucking arsehole And then I was like, hang on a second. <laughs> and and it was true and it's true now is that too many riders and racers are expecting a bike because they race, as opposed to what are they gonna deliver for that bike, or the goggles, or the gear, whatever it is. And, and I think if they understand, because it doesn't matter where you come, you could come 25th, but if you can sell more bikes than the guy coming first, you'll, you're worth more than the guy coming first. Mm. So, like, I think people have to take their, you know, I think if we could teach them to take the responsibility on themselves to understand the transfer of value, which is, if I give you something, I want that times multiple back, and that's how you get sponsorship, really, isn't it? I mean, the way we get sponsorship, which will continue to go down the track, but is because we we charge X amount and we deliver Y amount, which is many, many times more than the X amount in value, and we prove that we do that. So, if you if you are a starting, you know, um, state level racer, then I would be trying to find a way how I can sell more bikes, how I can sell more gear, how I can introduce business to the moto shop, which you would have done in the day and I used to as well and Sando did in his go-kart racing days, trying to find a way to connect people so they bought bikes from the dealership so then I can say to the dealership, I sold you three bikes this year, you know, can you get me a better deal on mine for next year, you know? I think that's the really simple starting point is to realise what they need in return if they're going to support you.
2: Yeah, I would add as well as every region has a regional paper as a regional radio station, but you don't really hear many riders trying to knock those guys on the door and, and say, hey, can I you know, do a feature with you? Can I tell you about my story? I'm planning to race in the Australian Supercross and I'm going to take it to the best in the country and some of the best Americans from around the world. Like, How many riders are actually going and hitting up those regional radio stations, regional newspapers that to be honest still got good following and would probably cover a story for supercross so even just that thinking and trying to educate people to think about that because for us regional radio regional tv is as important to us as metro radio and metro tv there's so much regional following so my first starting point would be what are you doing in your local city and your local town to to really pump up the racing in the australian supercross championship and realizing that straight away that could be a start that could be a way you could put a photo in in a newspaper and get it online and get your sponsors you know shown and and do things like that that's straight away thinking and giving back
0: yeah i think i agree in in what you're saying is is probably there's not enough education or willingness people being willing to ask questions and what is the business model you know i've I'm coming out the other side of being a full-time coach now for a long time, and I, I had a gym facility with a training program back in the day, You know, about four years ago I sold up out of that now, but the amount of riders that would hit me up and, and say, hey, um, I can't afford to train, um, let me run your logo on my graphics, or let me run a, a sticker on my helmet, and I'll train there for free, or you can coach me for free, right? and it's like, okay, cool, how does that actually benefit me? and you can see the confusion well that's sponsorship it's like no if you get together a group of four riders that want to train with you with me no problem I'll hook you up all day long but it's that I think understanding that sponsorship is a business transaction like you said and what you get has to be reciprocated with then some to make it viable for that brand to even want to support you and not always I guess when guys are starting now like you said the the regional kids in regional towns like the amount of mile and par, you know, you've got your dealerships that are slowly declining, but there's so many local businesses that are probably more willing than in a metro area to help out somebody financially, right? Um, but if people don't know who you are and what you do, how, how do you, without that, it's useless. So mm-hmm. I, I think, like you said, it's the responsibility. And I see it from a junior level, and it's something I've, I mean, geez, I've ran race teams where, where we had a junior team and an MX National Supercross team, right? And, and the, the whole plan of it was to take the juniors, educate them, and bring them through into the pro ranks. And, and honestly, it didn't work very well <laughs> because the parents, I don't feel, were willing to look at the sport in a big picture. They were so concerned about that next state title race or that next junior Aussies that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to explain to them, hey, this is where you're going in two seasons. Next season, you need to be ready and uh, there just seems a bit of a disconnect, and I don't know how we bridge that. But in this day and age, there's no excuse for ignorance to be an excuse because everything is more accessible than it's ever been.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I think that, that's the misconception is that it's not possible that you've got to sit back and wait. And like, I mean, exactly to Sando's point, there's all these guys racing in these regional areas in, 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 and the regions that are thirsty for... You know, some, you know, someone to be the sports star of they vacant hero and thirsty for content. And, who, you know, they'd love to talk about a certain local guy that's going to try and beat the best in the country that particular weekend. But unfortunately, all those riders are, are sitting back, and this might sound harsh, but they're sitting back waiting for us as promoters or Kevin Williams as promoters to put them on the paper. Mm-hmm. But why don't you just call them yourself? yourself? Tell them, you know, I'm racing the MX Nationals this weekend, I, you know. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some photos, here's some photos. Fo- hey, like, how... Tell me you don't, like, everyone doesn't have photos themselves. I'll send oh, you some
0: photos. In this day and age, I'll, everybody does. Everyone's
1: got it. I'll send you some stuff or I'll come down and do an interview. I'd love, you know, love to do it. And, you know, like, they would love that. And that would get them exposure. And then those guys can then say to their sponsors, this is what I did and it was in front of X thousand people and, you know, show value straight away.
2: Yeah, and, and we've even had Kane who, who's doing that for us, if, as an example, doing media, either... You know Regional sort of Media newspaper And online or, or regional radios And some of the writers Won't even answer the call At the right time When they were teed up to And they've forgotten mm-hmm. You know for example And then, then we upset The journalist Or you know You upset the radio station You're trying We're trying to tee up those opportunities you know so it is a bit of a full education process but there's no one's going to sell you you know or buy into you unless you sell yourself and that's probably the fundamental thing if you're not out there selling yourself and prepared to knock the doors down and really get out there in front of people then no one will buy into you no matter who else is helping you
1: yeah the racing just isn't enough and that's it's it's the same in supercars too like that you know they're a much bigger scale obviously have huge television all the rest of it but just the logos on cars and slapping that on and just waiting for sales to roll in the door brands aren't doing that these days
0: it's not the way it works so. No, and I think accountability like you said it's it's funny I've sort of like I said transitioned from trainer coach more into the business side of things now and um, just recently I, I won't name names of who I've been doing some, some work for but I had to reach out to a lot of high profile riders recently to put together a bit of a campaign for a big event coming up um, international event uh, not you guys, <laughs> it was a different event. And um, I had, I'd had i say I'd sent out 15 messages along with emails, Facebook messages, phone calls, trying to catch these riders, just just to get a simple quote for the campaign we were putting together. And um, fairly formal intro, like, hey, guys, Joe Stevens, I'm representing this brand. We're doing some promo for this event. Um, I just need a quick quote on your stats and, and what your plans are. You know, real, real basic stuff, but polite regards. You know, the amount of, of text I got back, the same day or the day later, literally non-existent, had to chase them. Then the messages I got back were, you know, uh, hyphenated texts, spelling issues, no, hi, how you doing? Reg- like just the basics of communication. I-, I was blown away. And these are high-profile guys. Um, honestly, I think the carry-on from that would probably be, you know, I've been doing NRG TV at MXN for like six years now. There's still guys in the pits. I don't know whether you, you're probably you're, you're a little bit more friendly and probably outgoing than me, but when you were doing it, there, there's still team, personnel, owners, riders in the pits that I'd say six years in, I have to go out of my way to get a good day and a conversation from. And it's like not saying I'm the guy, but I'm the one that's going to be talking about you and your performance to, to the, the sport on the show. You totally. can't go out of your way for two minutes to tell me how your day's going, or yeah. or how, how things have been, oh, or yeah. even just a hello.
1: Yeah. Well, they're not seeing they're not seeing that that you are helping provide the the platform to put them out there or to give them the exposure and to increase their worth. And the, the thing is that the, there's a massive misconception in athletes, you know. But we'll talk about our sport. But there's a massive misconception as to what their job actually is. Mm. Well, I think and I think Sandra would agree there's a massive misconception they think that their job is to win races and get results but it's actually not at all the job is to be influencers and sell products sell bikes so I'd say the, the, it's a, like a percentage it's right a
2: percentage, it's a percentage, it's a percentage, I mean, percentage I mean, it. but
1: to some brands the winning is super important like the, the manufacturer but uh, what I'm saying is if you can influence people to buy stuff be it through winning or being you know a cool character or being influential mm-hmm. i.e. Dean Wilson will sell for me Dean Wilson will sell more bikes than the tomac yeah, because Dean Wilson is a fucking legend. He's super cool. Eli Tomac wins. He's an animal. He's fast on the bike. But for me, I wouldn't buy it because of him because he doesn't. He's not the sort of guy I resonate with.
2: Well, yeah, where I'd support you with that is like that video of Dean Wilson giving a bike to a kid. Mm. You know, I've even heard myself from families and, and young kids now. He's he's their idol just because they've seen on social then giving them a bike, you yeah, know, okay. so that can show how much it can shift and how much even Australians all the way over here compared to seeing something happen in America now, you know, you can you can shift and turn someone into your... You, you're their hero with just a
0: simple totally. offering or something, so it's realising that too, I mm-hmm. would say. Well, I think public perception, like, obviously, there's what, say, in Australia right now, there's probably... Under ten riders on a factory salary, so to speak, and then you you know you probably got guys signing on for very little with a bonus program. Yeah, you know their job is technically through results. Like if you can get a good bonus deal and a sign on with a Yamaha or whoever, you can make good money in Australia winning Supercross, winning at MXN. But that's for the what top five percent of the industry here, and I think even in America, you guys will probably know more specifics than me. I think there's this perception at MXGP or AMA the disparity is no different it's just a lot there's a lot more zeros involved at the top totally. and then it gets distributed a lot less outside of the top totally. by the same, top exactly 8 it's exactly
1: the same everyone thinks that Australia is so far behind but it's not it's just different numbers like there's there's guys that you know there's SX2 guys, 250 guys in the US, you know, outside the top five that are making nothing, mm. you know. So it's not that Australia is so far behind and, you know, no one's getting paid fairly and et cetera, et cetera. Of course we all want to see more money in the sport. We definitely do. But it's the same around the world and, and it's a, it's just that's the reality of it because the teams and the manufacturers will put their money into the guys that are going to win in the top few. But it doesn't mean that the other guys can't be influential, you know, build their following, make money and, and, and be awesome value to particular brands and things too. I think like Dino is an absolute perfect example because he, saw, he was smart enough to see when he was not going to get the factory rider, he didn't have a factory rider, he was smart enough to see that he needed to build on his character, build his fan base and he could monetize that and he, and he did. He was making great money from his merchandise and as a privateer he was, he was potentially making as much money as he was as a factory rider. And that, he did that himself, and he used his channels that are there that everyone, you know, we all have in our phone. Everyone
0: has access to it. Everyone
1: has access to it, and he used it and, and was able to do what he did with it now. You can't fake his personality. His personality is amazing, and that's why people love him and resonate with him. But there's other characters that can do it too. You don't have to be, you know, you can be the nice guy. Everyone's got their own brand, and I think that's the thing that I think is you can't fake your brand. But no, people yeah. have just got to figure
0: what it is and then... And then
1: maximize they got yeah they've got to
0: get comfortable with being themselves and and i guess that was where i was going with it you got the top five ten percent of the the sport the elite level yeah their jobs to win all right push that aside everybody else they've got to find their own lane and i think um you see so it starts at a junior level or amateur level right you go to the local races and i still go to those all the time and what, what's the podium speech that the top kid likes to thank uh mom and dad for bringing me and worth uh, the, the competition and the club put on the event and they, they can't throw the microphone fast enough to, to get off the podium because they got eyes on them and and there's no you know i think media training or some sort of education there's probably an avenue for that but until these families start taking that side of the sport seriously at a, at a beginner level um that's where 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 it's going? If they really want the financial help they're they're saying they crave, they need. Mm. What what are you going to do about it to um, to get these kids to where it needs to be? And
1: yeah, and I I think like the parents, you know, it starts with the parents, right? I mean, and they've got to educate the kids that it's their responsibility, you know, because that's the problem too. We sort of set kids up for failure if that's all about racing and it's all and all you got to do is win races and you're going to be a champion. Like, that's not the, it doesn't set you up for a, cr- a career in racing or a long-term career in racing, be it as a racer or as a, someone else involved. Whereas, and I think where, I think all three of us, what we would have in common, and I'm sure, Joe, not knowing your past as much as I know ours, is that our parents didn't make all the phone calls for us and didn't organise everything for us. They made us do it. So I had to call Dunlop if I was going to try and get some cheap tyres on Monza Imports at the time, or I had to call Peter Stevens to try and get him to give me you know, a discount on the biker. I was harassing him or, or going down the shop myself to get it, which meant, you know, then you learn how that works and you sort of learn the tough lessons and you had to do it yourself. And Sandoz is the same. He had to sell his own sponsorships to race go-karts and I had to do the same in motocross. you know, and you would have had to in your career. So if you if the kids kind of like um, are being wrapped in cotton wool to be just racers, then I think that is probably, you know, a big failing on them later because at later even once they've finished racing, they have no idea how to how to run themselves as a business or be a business or, you know, they haven't learnt the vital skills along the way, which is so important, which is go out, prove your worth, get rejection, call up a brand for sponsorship. They say, you know, you know sorry, mate, I'm not interested. Like, how many times we get rejected now for sponsorship for our events you know what I mean like you get rejected every day you've got to get comfortable getting rejected you've got to
0: have thick skin in this game yeah uh, no yeah doubt. Um, 100% I think what you said there is is so true as far as um, I think the double-edged sword with any motorsport is that doing it by yourself as a teenager is not going to happen because you need financial support, you need family, and and I think in motocross there's this perception that it really, I I can't stand it, or it's the rich kids that make it, you know, you know, you know, unless your dad's got a big business to run it through, like, yeah, that helps, and I could name any number of them kids at the races that aren't going any further because they don't have to, or Mm. they're comfortable, they can still go home and and their life doesn't change by their results, fair enough, but it's it's that balancing act of you find an individual that has that passion, I'd say, like you said, the three of us will probably have in common, right? Um, and this was my one concern talking to you on the phone. I don't want this podcast to come across as preachy, like we're saying how to do it and it's everyone else's responsibility to learn, but you, I guess to a certain extent you either get it or you don't, but you got to have that hunger, like you said, to want to put yourself out there and if you don't have the necessity because your family's going to support you either way, like, Hey, that'd be great on one aspect, but it's not going to really develop you as a person. And I think, I don't know, I, I'll touch on my own story because I, have wanted to say this for a long time and, and I, I I'll, I'll put it out in this podcast because it's personal, but to me, I hope it resonates with some people listening. So I moved to Australia in 2009, so 10 years ago, I come off of being in the States for two years, um, and I was riding some freestyle stuff uh, for Feld, doing the Monster Jams, the IFMA, Ram to Ram Tour and that. And I moved here not knowing a single person. I knew like Bilko and that from back in the day when I lived here as a kid. They came and stayed with me for a little bit in England. But I went to my first MX Nationals in 2011 and I drove myself to Broadford and I walked around by myself. I didn't know a soul. And what is it now, 2019? And I've been making a living out of the industry since 2000 and. Twelve, two thousand thirteen. It's epic. Yeah, uh, not like I'm the shit, but like I'm not, no, I'm not no, no. That's what it's, it's just yeah, it's clarifying you, the you can. How can yeah. I do that? Yeah, when guys that have won national championships have been superstars in the sport over here, two years after they retire, they're. Um, I'm not being disrespectful, but they're working on job sites. They're they're lost as people by doing whatever and we lose them from the industry which is they, a negative. Yeah, they're and they're forgotten about. And how how does that happen to me? I, I can't fathom. Well that.
2: I think the main thing obviously is that the confidence comes from the experience and the experience comes from the practice. So everyone might just consider practising on the bike being everything. Mm-hmm. But practising commercially yeah. is about like learning yourself. So the the sooner you start selling yourself and, and doing sponsorship as, at a young age, the more experience you get. So you obviously get better the longer you do it. But the younger you start, the better you are in 10, 15 mm. years. And and that's the same with speaking and, and handling yourself and PR. That's You've got to put that practice in to get better. And obviously, different people have got different skill sets, right? But I think that's the main thing to get across is if, if you're willing to obviously push at it and break down those barriers and yeah come into a sport like your example of not knowing anyone and then be committed to make something out of it it shows that it's still possible mm-hmm. and so i that's think that's the nice main point thing point. from our end we would portray is it is certainly not easy and it's not easy for us commercially but you know we've we're not you know because we've been doing it our life our whole lives you know from for our own careers and then in business getting a no doesn't mean you, you cry yourself to sleep at night it, me, it motivates you to try the next one and you, you get better and better at being told no or or turning a no into maybe a smaller yes mm-hmm. you know and, and a lot of our sponsorship portfolios started really small and just incrementally built up as opposed to trying to something we're not we we don't price ourselves like V8 supercars we don't price ourselves like afl or any of those sports we know where we sit and, and we're getting you know better at bringing more brands in because they're all just slowly riding the journey and we know it's a really long journey but i think the most positive thing particularly myself not being in the sport and then coming into it through our business and, and meeting with and partnering with adam is the sport has the potential that these athletes and athletes in Australia and abroad are some of the best and most impressive athletes I've ever seen in, in ever in, in the world. So, you know, it's no different to UFC, as, as big picture that sounds, but UFC was nowhere and it's arguably it's one of the biggest sports in the world. world. And, and what they've done better than everyone else is build personalities, build entertainment, be willing to say something even if you don't really think it but you know it's better for entertainment they've been willing to do that and they've built into this global just monstrosity that arguably is probably doing better than every sport in the world at the moment about building up the anticipation to a fight and I think what we can all learn from that is you know this sport is amazing the athletes are amazing People will go to Marvel Stadium will be 35,000 people or more and watch this sport. That's amazing. So let's just focus our energy on that and realise that it's all got the potential there, but we all need to, you know, in all our respective areas, just keep working as hard as we can to get there.
1: Yeah, I think as well as that the is just expanding the, the role of what an athlete is and getting an understanding of what that is because I think that, like, yeah, that, 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 that narrow focus, just performance only... Is where we're going wrong it's got to be you know being an athlete means returning value to your sponsors returning value to your team selling product getting exposure creating good content like it's all the things that everyone can do and some some there's some guys out there that are absolutely nailing it and get it and they're doing such a great job you know jackson richardson prime example turns up to the races in his van he's got some epic sponsors he's got rockstar energy on on board which is a huge you know partner they haven't been involved in the sport for years Brings him in because they want to see personality. He's got that personality, and he's starting to build a following of fans because they love the fact that he's a character. He's funny, he, he, you know, but he can also ride. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's he's maximising the brand that that is him. He's not faking it, and that's just the way he is. And Dan, on the other hand, Dan Rudin is like he's a fantastic influencer. He's got brands, you know, coming at him. He's, he can do influencer campaigns. The guy sold the the rights to his buddy proposal for god's sake i was yeah. j- joking with him you know like yeah. he got sponsored to do his proposal in queensland a queenstown that's incredible like the guy he's i was fantastic. wondering about <laughs> that i assume
0: there was some sort of involvement because that was an epic a whole epic uh saga <laughs> with the proposal <laughs> yeah. down there amazing yeah. i mean like
1: the, the, he is like the prime example of the incredibly switched time he gets it he has dr homes for example they've sponsored him because he has sold them more homes than what it cost them to sponsor him so he gets it. They they've they said that we've sold something like five houses because of our sponsorship with you. So then he can keep them on board, you know, yeah. and, and obviously he's a great writer too, but He gets the fact of the business of why these people are spending money with him and what he needs to return.
2: Well, he'd be speaking with his partners or doing business-to-business deals, which I think is really important because it's it's so much more than the exposure. It's the business-to-business, and it's either giving back by doing writing schools for your your sponsor's kids or it's like doing days out for those sponsors and their staff or their VIPs or doing things that people probably don't see all the time that really gives that value back. To touch on Jackson as well, I think before he even did round one, he'd proven his value and he'd he'd done so much content leading in, then he doesn't even qualify for the main and it doesn't change that the value of that sponsorship is still strong. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's that's a a great example too, you know? So his personality when he's mucking around with Roxanne energy cans and, you know, joking around and having fun with it, Still does as much for selling Rockstar Energy cans as if he got a podium first round. Totally. And
0: that's—I uh, had this conversation last night. We had the weekly podcast we do covering the series, and and we were speaking about Jackson, and and we were going back and forth with my co-host, and he said, "Well, his results—if uh, he doesn't do better at Wollongong, he's got to pull the pin." And I'm like, "No, like <laughs> he is so, yeah. so much worth so much more uh, on the track, regardless of where he finishes." Like Rockstar did not sponsor him for him not to race, and you know you draw a narrative from the injury he's toughing it out he's still on the track probably going to get him more pressed than if he went out and got a fifth yeah along those lines yeah because i want
1: to see him succeed we can't wait
0: to show that
2: supercross life episode of launches tonight you know because that is going to show more grit and tenacity and and true insight into how tough this sport really is and do more for jackson than he probably even realizes but he deserves it you know it's incredible and we're We're really invested in telling those stories a lot this year and beyond for sure.
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah. And there is people getting it and I guess what we just want to see is more understanding the business of what they do, I guess, and because if people can do that, then the more brands will get value in being involved in the sport with anyone um, and the more they will support the sport and the more the money will come into the sport, if that makes sense. If, If brands are profiting out of being involved in our sport, then obviously the money's going to increase because they're going to see value, they're going to invest more the following year. And, you know, if there's more people doing deals like Jackson and, and Epic, if there's more brands getting involved in athletes like DR Homes, for example, with Dan, then that's great because it just keeps bringing it in and that's how it happens. And But the riders themselves, you know, they can do that. They don't need us to do it. Like the sport itself is the platform, you know, them to call themselves a supercross racer or whatever, but mm. they can create their own exposure, they can create their own content, they can create their own brand and they, they really can do it on their own. Yeah,
2: phones and GoPros now, you know, you can do or you could do yeah, and and Dino has done that and mm. proven that as, as an example, not to just keep going back to Dean Wilson, but he's well, he he's been able to example. get his girlfriend yeah. to film him, mm. you know, throughout yeah. the season and then just done behind-the-scenes raw stuff with his missus just shooting off a handy cam or to using a GoPro. Fans don't care. That's all you need. And I think that's another good example too. You don't need, you know, $20,000 camera equipment mm. to pull it off either. Yeah. If anything, you it's th- gone the other way. Like, I, yeah. I don't
0: know. Obviously, you guys are a different... Uh, avenue where you have that you have major companies to represent so you have to put out high quality content but a lot of the stuff that individuals put out I know they get a far better reception if it's raw if it's talking to the camera if it's shot trackside than if it's something they paid for to get produced yeah uh, for so sure people want identify with the personality they want to they want to know you as an individual
2: yeah mm-hmm. they want to see the true personality so when it's raw and when it doesn't look polished it looks real it's authentic and yeah. when with supercross life we're trying to do the same as even if we're shooting off our best cameras which we are it's still more that the conversations that are being had are obviously clearly not with the camera and not with the producer they're being had with the mechanic the team owner and the, and the rider and that's authenticity that people want to see that's
0: really really cool content it is and i think where i'd like to go from here is we we discussed it on the phone a little bit adam before we did this but you know you say there's so many writers doing it right you know they're putting out great content they, they have a strong personal brand you know whether they're uh, an under 19s writer whether they're mx2 guy or, a, or a mx1 guy whatever it is they're at different stages of their career but i think a lot of them are, are doing the right things in principle on social media and Maybe not to the degree they could be, but they're learning. Mm. I think one of the biggest hurdles is your lifespan in this sport. You're so young, so you don't have the experience to, to maybe understand what a business relationship is. But, you know, how many riders have approached you guys as, as a, a management agency, I, I guess we call it, right, and, and said even if they don't want you to represent them or, or help them, just a, a phone call or a conversation, like, you guys are very approachable, Um, You know, hey guys, how do I go about trying to leverage this following I've got? How do I go about trying to take this deal from I've got free gear and and free bikes to trying to monetize myself? Um, And I think that's something else that we should probably touch on. I think people think monetizing is is actually getting paid directly, which I could tell you a million ways I've took sponsorship deals and made it work where I get paid without the brand actually paying me, right? Mm -hmm. But how many riders approach you guys for that? Oh, could count on one hand. You could
1: count on one hand the amount of riders or teams that have actually asked for even data, mm. like how many people watch the sport and the events. I, I mean, Dan Reardon does says how many people are watching. Who are they? What information can I get? And he obviously uses it. Dylan Wills has, um, mate. Todd, <laughs> Todd Waters has. Yeah. Uh, um, Hayden Malross. Those guys have said, hey, how can I entertain my sponsors at the event? Can I invite them along? Am I allowed to do a track walk with them? Those kinds of things. Like, that's really smart stuff. Like,
0: yeah, VIP packages. VIP right, pack,
1: like, like and, and and we engage in those conversations. And then I think it was Hayden Morris, obviously, unfortunately, was hurt for the season. But it was like, mate, if I were you, I'd get him some box tickets and then I'd take them around the track myself. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll help you so that you can do that. Go and spend some time with them during the night. Get them to come and check out your bike, be part of it, and and that's how you give them a special experience is, is you know, to, to be there with you, and and that's great value, and that shows that sponsor them. Because a lot of the time, these sponsors are there because they want to be part of the journey, right, too. Like, it's not just if you win the race. They want to be there because they want to They're passionate on. about yeah, it. Passionate. They want to bring cheer, their kids cheer, cheer along on, yeah, and like, meet you. and Yeah, they want to cheer on Todd Waters because he's a great bloke, and, and I want to see him win. So that's what a sponsorship is about, too. It's not necessarily just... Winning the race on the night, it's bringing him on the journey. Like this is what I'm trying to do. This is you know how much effort I'm putting in. Come along, be part of the day. You know, enjoy it with me, kind of thing. And that and that's what the sponsors are, are loving too. Yeah,
2: I, I would say going to the event number one, maybe going to practice and testing days number two, and then number three would be coaching and and working with them on either their kids learning to ride with them or or yeah teaching their staff or doing a ride day and things like that because that's where you really connect mm-hmm. with the personality you know and that's where a sponsor will buy in for life if the, if they really jump into your onto your journey mm-hmm. and i mean we we get asked a lot by say super three and super two drivers as well in motorsport um given our presence in supercars and we're, we, you know, we're always telling them to get out there and and sell themselves rather than trying to get someone to sell you because no one wants to hear a story from either of us, even with our experience and where, we, where we're positioned in both sports. They don't want to hear us selling someone at 16 years of age that thinks he's going to make it next. You know, they want to hear from them yeah. and they want him to come into their office and actually they want to ignore a couple of phone calls and ignore an email and then still see them rock up at the office Mm. and wait for them. You know what I mean? Because that shows true dedication and that's what we've done youngsters. you know you've you've like forced yourself in to a potential sponsors office to see them and sit down with them and tell them your story Mm -hmm. and because it's not just where you're at right now it's where you want to be and who who your aspirations are and showing what you're going to do to get there so people buy into how dedicated you are what you're committing to on and off track you know how and why you think you can be a champion they're all the things that people buy into, and another thing that people forget, probably as well, in predominantly in motorsports, more common, but dirt bikes too. Is like, let them buy a piece of your career if you really believe in yourself. Let them buy a piece of you, and if you make it, you make it as a Chad Reed. You'll pay them back, mm. and like yeah, not many people talk like that, that, you know. You know, I think that's that happens a lot in in Formula Three and F One in Europe, you yeah. know. But, but it's in something invests, wha- in well motocross, invests, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's not that expensive a sport motocross like you're hearing your stories and and what people say but it's not that expensive you know in, in compared to car racing and there's young guys raising 300 400 500 grand to go car racing in super two or super three yeah, no exposure and they're not doing, they're doing any yeah you know, so that, brands that want to see
1: them succeed that's what yeah
2: instead of hate on that just go shit that that's some good potential. As a motocross, I only need to raise 80 grand or 100 grand.
1: Yeah, totally. So and what and am I going to do for that? And, and Exactly. And, and rather than, you know, sit back and wait for your Eve Konsky to call or Craig Dack to call and be pissed off that they brought in Americans, I'd be calling them and going, what do I got to do? Like, what have I got to do? I've got to bring a sponsor? Do I have to, you know, borrow money, raise money? When we, we, um, we uh, you know, in the Superco- uh, Supercross life, um, to talk about Jesse um, Dobson, and he's maxed out a credit card because he's trying to make it happen and get to the races. You know, mm. so like, like just do that stuff. You know, if you've okay. got to do it, you've got to do it. And I'd be, I'd call up your eve and, and like he's an enterprising guy. I'd be just like, if I could raise a sponsorship or find one, or I would say I'll borrow the money. Just if you really believed and were willing to back yourself, then you've got to be willing to back yourself. But I think. Guys like Craig Dak, and, and Uri, they don't just give those rides to someone because they might see down the track they're going to be good. You've yeah. got to prove it and you've got to show them that you really want it and you've got to back yourself too. Like, how do you, I mean, in business it's no different. The very first OzX Open for us, a guy named Jeff Jones was talking to us and he said, hey, how do you expect anyone to believe in you if you're not going to back it yourself? Like, if you're not going to stand there and go, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it happen and you know I'll borrow money to do it or I'll do whatever it takes like how do you expect someone else to just come yeah, yeah. You know, yeah.
2: well that was a good example because we were trying to s- work out how do we get a sponsor to sponsor the whole event and do it and he's like it's not it's not going to happen you yeah, know if not gonna you're not going to do it and put your balls on the line and get an investor or you know get money from the bank or whatever why would anyone else mm-hmm. and we're like holy that shit you we know never really thought So you know, like you that
0: you've got to put your best foot forward first right yeah you know, I think what you talked about there with, with it's somewhat of a faux pas I think it, for some reason in the moto industry still like you come from the the car racing world yeah. obviously V8s and car yeah. karting. I think it's a little bit more accepted there when you talk about buying a drive or yeah. a sponsor still in motocross I, I don't know why that there's that stigma in Europe if, it's happening there well, all the time I come from the UK right I grew up racing um, British championships I did some European stuff and and You are not getting a start in in say the British Championship unless you're a a top guy. Even then, if you want to go MXGP, your first year you're bringing money into the team, Mm. whether a sponsor's paying for it, whether you remortgage your house, whatever it looks like. And I think it's you put out the press release that so and so just signed for the team. They don't go, oh, he just bought forty grand or fifty grand or whatever it looks like. But people in the know know. Yet, especially in in. In Australia, and for Moto, it, it seems like it's still a stigma, and I don't, I don't know why you and I know there's plenty of rides over the years that have gone that way, mm. yet it's not spoke about, and, and I don't see why it's a bad thing. Oh, he, he got that ride because he bought it. Well, he raised the money. Yeah, yeah he raised the money. He's, 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 know,
1: it's not even yeah. right. I mean, Dan, Dan Reuben's done it this year in a sense that, he hasn't bought his ride, but he's negotiated with CDR to have his own sponsors that have been with him, i.e. he wears Fast House clothing, not Fox clothing, because mm. they were a partner with him. So he's had to say to Dacca, hey, I need to bring Fast House. They're my sponsor. I need to keep him. He's not just dropped him and going, oh, now I've got this CDR ride. So And, and I need to have branding on my bike for Dow Homes. Yeah, and Boost Mobile as well. Boost
0: Mobile,
2: yeah.
1: sponsors to the, you know, and, and as part of his he's he's got them on the CDR Yamaha bike. So there's so many different ways to, you know, skin a cat. Yeah. You know, the people are kind of just wait, sit back and wait for you know that magic call where th- those calls aren't coming you've got to really think about what you can offer and I think that you know this. you can look at it completely differently
2: well I would say back to your point about you're even DACA and I don't want to speak on their behalf but if I'm sure if you were hassling them, and, um, you know, I'm just hypothesizing, but if you were hassling them, you know, week in, week out, month in, month out, and said, guys, I don't want anything from you, but just let me come to the test track and just watch and see what you do, see what you work on with the guys, and then, you know, I'm just going to come out, and I'm just going to be there, and I just want to soak it all in, I'm not going to get in the way. Are they going to say no to you if you're, you're a good enough young guy? Yeah, Probably yeah, not, you know? Yeah. If And then could that then evolve to, hey, you know, one day, do you mind if I just follow them around? You know, do you mind if I go out there and just try and keep up? You know, things like that, I think, you know, I'm not saying whether that's a definite or not, but it's no, like no, that it, thinking no. of just... If you show enough commitment, I'm sure one of those team owners, if you're capable enough also obviously, um, you know, they'll let you ride out on that track if you're a privateer and, you know, use you as a bit of a, you know, maybe they're going to chase you down. But you see that a little bit, like Rudo's, you know, training with 250 riders um,
3: yeah, all the time. I think yeah, Jay Wilson guys, yeah. for as an
2: example, you know, that's a great example. They're never going to race against each other, but using each other to better, each, better themselves. And I think it's maybe just thinking a little bit more laterally with some of those team team guys or maybe it's not, you know, CDR and your but it's maybe ro- if you're a younger guy you're rolling with privateers and trying to just hang out with them. Mm. Maybe you're covering the cost of shaping the track for them as in return or something, yeah, you know? Yeah
0: it's, yeah, it's using whatever means necessary and yeah, like that team manager is probably going to, you know, oh, this kid's a pain in the ass. Oh, I don't want to deal with him today. But he's a good kid. All right, look, we're going out here on Wednesday, come out and then eventually it's like, oh, well, so and so just got injured. Ah, oh, he's a good kid. We'll throw him on the bike. Yeah,
2: or, you've got to be a good person too. Yeah, like of course. If, yeah. If you're, if you're entitled and,
0: and you're a little brat, like yeah, yeah it's not going to work. No, um, well, they're
1: all waiting. Like I said, sitting back waiting. I say all massive generalisation, but if you're sitting back waiting for Dakar to call because he spots you know spots a bit of talent of you when you're in, when you, you do a section call when you're in twelfth. Mm. That's not going to happen. Like you, like you've got to make. And it's no different in business. No one just comes and knocks on our doors and goes, hey, here's a multi-million dollar opportunity. Like, you can. You seem like good blokes. Like, never. That never happens. You're banging down doors constantly. And it's in business, in life, or, you know, again, not to preach, but you've got to be the one banging down the doors, and these riders need to be doing that. Regardless of where they're coming, like, you know, back in our racing days, I would go to CNR Imports who was supporting me with goggles and gear at the time and just say good day and drop in and, you know, you make sure they know, knew who I was, was and make sure they, you know, knew, you know say how much I appreciate it, be genuinely saying thank you, like I really appreciate your help and then next year it's a much easier conversation to, to get that support again. So. Yeah, a
2: great example I would like to draw on is Gary Rogers Motorsport because there's there's a lot of drivers in supercars that only probably need a one day every week or one day every two weeks commitment at the workshop. But then there's drivers that drive for Gary Rogers that he takes on, and they've got to do a full-blown apprenticeship over three years. And then they've got to be in the workshop day in, day out, and they've got to build themselves a trade. So even if they don't make it in their career, they've got something, a life afterwards. He forces that on them. And then he's, he's touched arguably some of the best drivers in the sport and they all respect him for that upbringing I think that's a really good example you know like Scott McLaughlin he had to do his full-blown apprenticeship at Gary Rogers now he's a two-time champion Mm -hmm. but he uh, but also you know James Golding the same he had to ride to the train station catch the train then ride you know I think it was like 40 minutes to Gary Rogers, do an apprenticeship, and then go back and do that. And that was how he just started to get a, an initial drive with Gary. And then now he's a full-time driver. And, mm-hmm. you know, Gary's helping him into next season, even though Gary's not um, racing in supercars, because he he believes in, in James Golding, and he's come through the ranks with that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've, got to, they've got to,
1: yeah, they've definitely got to learn the parallels and the opportunities that, that supercars, it, that, that common practice in supercars and some of those ways like our sport can learn from and, and our riders can learn from and see that and just like exactly i mean scott mclaughlin's got grove still sitting on his yeah. response sponsored him when he was no one he was absolutely nowhere and that's a brand a guy that's a very successful man wanted to be part of him as a from a go karter onwards continued to support him and now he's a about to be a two-time supercar champion and grove is still one of his biggest sponsors because he was Brought him on the journey with him. And he wanted to. He wasn't always a legend, you know, and yeah.
3: now, now
2: he is that. And that's well, yeah.
1: Stayed
2: with him. Well, we work with Scott and, and Scott's got Pace and Grove on his helmet and there we, we know big brands wanting to get on his helmet, but he's now on the yeah, flip he's side. Loyal he's that. loyal to them. Yeah. He's he's doing multi-year deals with them to give back because they helped him at the start. And that's a good story in itself because he could get big, big brands on his helmet now and he's actually like blocking those two spots for those he's only allowed two personal sponsors on his helmet Mm. and he's given back to them they're paying the right amount as well but he's he's letting them have first rider refusal every year and giving back to the guys because they've helped him throughout Mm. and that that that
0: apprenticeship model um i wasn't aware that uh, you know in, in motorsport like that's that's such a cool enterprise that i think those drivers could be a part of and Maybe I wish that there was something like that in moto, that, that these kids... But, again, like you said, those kids got to do an apprenticeship. They've got to put themselves out there. There's, there's so many um, there's so many performance shops, suspension engineer yeah. places that, you know, if these kids, even, you know, when I ran my own race team, I didn't have one kid hit me up that was, that was racing at a young level, say, last year juniors, finished school or, you know, entry level MXD, you know, MX2 and, and, and say, so look, can I prep bikes? You, know, you said it on the phone to me the other day. Can I prep bikes during the week for you? Can I, mm. can I sweep the floors? Can I clean the stuff? Yeah, crop? anything that's going to save you money, money, yeah. To get the to, answer, the like to the races. I'd
1: like to, like, yeah. if, like, oh, damn. Knowing what I know now, I would if I would be calling you, Reeve, and going, "What can I do during the week?" And then just have you take my bike to the races. So then, yeah. so then it's just there. So then, just put it in the truck and transport it for me. Yeah. I work at the workshop, yeah. wash bikes, wash air filters, do whatever it takes. Then your bike can get to the races, and then you can get there. And as a privateer, you just save yourself a massive cost. And it's a, and it's a, that's a huge challenge as it is is getting your stuff there. So maybe. Yeah. You know, there's opportunity there. Just think about what you can give them, I guess, is what I'm saying. Boost,
2: Boost Mobile is probably a good example where they sponsor Dan Reed and they sponsor Chad Reed. They, they love giving back to the young guys. They've just sponsored... Um, Gary Rogers team all year this year, which are young drivers, but also they just sponsored the Kistecki brothers, um, who no one needs to know who they are necessarily on this podcast, but they're, the reason they sponsored them was because both uh, the brother and the two brothers and the cousin, they worked on the cars and they do the all the work on their cars week in, week out, and then they prepared for Bathurst on their own, three young guys, and Boost Mobile jumped on that just because they love that angle and that story of these kids working on cars and taking it and racing in the massive like the biggest race of the year in supercars and i think that's a good example too that commercially there's brands out there that are that are really into that stuff Mm. and they'll buy into those
0: stories the grassroots story is very viable to to sell because people resonate with it they engage with it i think in my and it's i don't always talk about moto but i guess that's where i'm coming from with my world you guys definitely go in a different different worlds with the v8s and the go-karting and whatnot but everyone's so caught up in trying to be ken Roxon or trying to be the top guy and that's the, the image they portray but it's like hey you're not there yet mm-hmm. <laughs> tell your own story
1: be, but just be true to what you are now
0: i mean i love the jackson richardson
1: and jesse dolson story from this supercross life that we just did like jesse dolson likes in the back of his van pay, maxed out a credit card he's saying he's got no money but he's battling with the big guys. Like for me, like if like and and brands have supported him, like that's awesome. Like mm-hmm. you want to be involved in that. You want to support people that are, that are battling and doing it the hard way because you know what that like that shows that they want it more. You know, and that's a really good story in itself. Yeah, you
2: gain as much respect or more in that case. And that's where the next like someone can be picked up from because brands will buy into that and go, shit, if he's willing to risk everything and he's gonna train his ass off and he shows he shows talent, then I'm gonna buy into that because what's he gonna do if he's got a factory ride? Mm -hmm. He's going to be a different personality.
1: Mm, yeah, Luke Cloud as well. I'll, I'll throw him in there because he did he did reach out recently as well and, and has about you know sponsors and and coverage and how to how to maximise them. And he's got a really strong brand as well. He's a, he's a I mean he's an incredible writer, obviously, and he's getting the results now. But he obviously he also is a strong brand. He's a good looking guy. He's good fun. He's a whole package like that, which that attracted Dakar to him also it wasn't just the fact that he's going to be a great
0: racer yeah he has he has market appeal and he's he, he can be sold to sponsors and he's a good asset to the team um, right, let's let's go through and we could throw some V8 examples in there as well like to me there's a handful of Aussie moto right now pro guys that are getting it I'd say that Reardon would probably be the, the forefront of it you've got I think Dean Ferris has, has started to figure it out now. I think started to, for sure. Yeah, and, and I've had a few conversations with Dean. You know, he's starting to do his online coaching academy. Yeah. He's a brand ambassador for Recovery and a few yeah. other brands. And I think he's seeing, like, hey, my career's got an expiration date in the coming what, you know?
1: Well, huge like, ups to him, actually, because I feel like this is a recent... He's rea- a recent realisation. Like a transition. Yeah, a transition yeah. Because he was a debt... Like Even his recent is when America didn't work. Yeah, right? yeah. he's against it almost because yeah. he's a racer. And he's a, he's a hardcore racer and an incredible racer. But he was almost, like, against the sort of fluffy stuff around the outside to go outside and above and beyond for Brandon. It wasn't natural to him. But now, exactly what you said, he's seen, like, the opportunity there and he's putting himself out there and doing this awesome, which is an awesome concept to train people online, etc. So yeah, I feel he's, like it's like a... a yeah, and he's done, an awesome
2: he's, he's done awesome to work with like a young aspiring videographer and to name a cloud as an yeah. example. And they're all out there, by the way. So like there's always an aspiring videographer trying to make it in the same realm, you know, align with them. Like they've worked interesting together interesting on some, some you know, yeah. documentaries and some real stories and doing content together and, and good on the both of them because it's helping both of them get yeah, themselves... Yeah. Out there yeah. And that's yeah. great and too. And that's what you
0: partnerships know. are all about. That is collaboration. Get to where we're at. So mm. I'd say, Dean, and this is for everyone listening that wants to take a look at some case studies. Let's call it. Yeah. Like, look at Dan Redden. Look at Dean Ferris. Look at Jackson Richardson. Mm. And for
1: different reasons, though. So I think we should like, yeah, we should d- describe them in different ways because they are very different in how they're doing. Their brands are very different. I think they're both. They're all great examples
0: of a, in different ways. A personal brand that has its own merit, right? Mm. Like Jackson Richardson is the. I don't know what you call him. He's out character. there. He's just a yeah. character. He's yeah. like the Bilko of yeah. racing. Like yeah. Bilko's out there, Richard's out. He's
1: Dino, isn't he? And that's why yeah. Yeah. my rockstar jumped on him because mm. he, he has that appeal. Like a Dino, he's. he's He's hilarious, but he's obviously good. Um, good person to watch, and his social's awesome too.
2: Well, I think what's great about him and that reference to Bilko is they're they're probably investing time, and Bilko probably doesn't get the credit at times. Like they just assume that he's you know just a funny guy all the time. But he, he invests in Lance Russell doing his social media yeah. as well as himself, yeah. and then he's investing in learning how to edit, and yeah. and then he's always doing funny videos, and he's finding things. You know, he's probably trawling on the internet to find funny videos that are unrelated to post yep. that are going to get views you know i think yeah. that's a good example too because yeah. y- y- you're not always going to be funny but you can find funny shit online and mm. you know jackson mixing you know oh, recent the, videos yeah. with thank you man so and stuff funny. you know yeah. fuck yeah. It's, it's it's gold right yeah. and that's so that's a good example too i think that yeah.
1: it's time they're, they're investing yeah. time like you said and bill goes bill go again prime example because like you, you just said like he invests that time. Like, is actually a very calculated and serious person. He's a you lot know more Bilko. switched on He's very, very switched on. He's a businessman. And he the Bilko stupid clown Bilko that we love is is partially a show because he is, very, he is a, a character, but, but he maximises that and uses it to his advantage and he's made a brand out of it and he's made a lot of money from it, made great sponsorship. He's I mean, he's valuable to have at events for us. He's incredibly popular because... This brand that he carries and he's created himself through commitment and hard work, but it's not through accident or because he doesn't work hard at it. Uh-huh. He does.
2: Yeah, and he posts um, probably more than any athlete. on mm. For us, he's promoting us all the time, yeah. and as a promoter, that's just that's you know brand. we love him yeah. anyway, and you yeah. always would support him, and he's so popular. But he he goes above and beyond in that sense too, and I think that's a great example. Well, and you look at
0: him as uh, case study. You're going to hate to say that, but you look at Bilko. The you know he's an OG at this point. He's Probably mid thirties, I'd say, late thirties, right? I think. The amount of freestyle riders that have come and gone in his life cycle really, of the yeah. sport, he's still on Nitro Circus, he still does Eurovents he's he's still putting himself on the biggest platforms of the sport. That's not because he's doing the gnarliest tricks anymore. Nah, it's it's nah. because of his Bilko. Like people sometimes who's Blake Williams? Like it's Bilko. Yeah. That's the brand name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that tangible thing that sponsors can go, Oh, like Billboard used to get his own stickers printed and right. and, stick him in, stickers and
1: stick them everywhere. He'd go to parties, stick them everywhere. He'd stick them <laughs> on road signs. He'd stick them everywhere. That's him doing it. He created that brand. So, and that exactly what he said. He's made great money from it. He's had a long, like a long and successful career. Yeah. And he's valuable to people like us. Because of that, without having to risk his... It's still risky, but do you know
0: what I mean? Like yeah, what's he's he does easily. Yeah, he not, rides within himself, yeah. Himself. And if you go further, and this is probably something I wanted to cover in this pod as well, is that, you know, Bill Goe, at his age, in the next decade, say, he's, he's going to hang up the boots. He's pretty injured and everything else, right? Now, he lends himself perfectly to go to do radio, do TV presenting, do brand ambassador, whatever it looks like, right? That's because of the brand he established as a personal brand within the sport first, mm. and then that has opened up so many doors totally. for where you know this is just an example, right? But he can, I think he's already didn't he do some event coverage for you guys? Yeah, last Yeah, on yeah. TV last year. Yeah, yeah. he yeah.
1: done X Games last year on the broadcast. Yeah, but yeah, so he he he's already out there to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, he's already putting his foot uh, into that next step. Yeah, um, and and that those jobs are far and few between unless you. Uh, you, yeah. th- you have that allure that hey, we're going to put this guy on he's Everyone knows who he is. Everyone likes yeah. him. That's what Billcos done.
2: Yeah, and I, I would say like um, him and and Jackson Strong, probably two great examples with Monster as well. They're they're always back over in the states, spending time with Monster. You know, they yeah. realise that they're americans in the u.s company and and they're always giving back and doing whatever they can for monster he's always going back to the head office as well frequently and always whenever he's over there he's spending time with them so i think this is a good example too you know because yeah. a lot of people just assume once they've got a monster sponsorship i've made it you know and that's it and probably wouldn't put the time and expenditure to go back to the states and keep giving back to to the head company as well and jackson strong's a good example he he has a video production business now and he's he works for them for nothing in return you know for for sponsorship as well he's thought very laterally about that whole association which has been fantastic for him good on him for that
1: yeah yeah i think as well i mean you and i from moto probably proof of you don't have to be a pro racer at that level to then be able to have a career in it either so i think that People should, like, what these guys are doing, what someone like Dan is doing is setting himself up for, like, he will have a great career in the sport if he wants it long after he's finished racing because he'll understand the commercial elements way better than anyone else because he's Mm -hmm. learning them himself and he's putting himself out there. He's doing the deals himself. He's negotiating on his own behalf, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And that sort of is giving him a lot more experience, like, other than just being a racer.
0: Yeah, and I think you see the athletes that don't take that step and you could name off, like I said before, I don't want to name particular names but you see so many riders that multiple professional championships massive names in the sport but they retired on a team two years later they've forgotten about they never took that next step to becoming their own brands putting their own business deals together and once the music stops it stops if you haven't learned that skill set once your performance outweighs what you want to get paid it's done mm. and uh yeah it always confused me a little bit how that can happen but I think just this conversation like you said if you don't develop those skill sets at any point in your career you don't really have anything that's going to equip you for the the business side of our industry the motorsports industry or even the real world like you're Mm going to exit your career and not have any sort of leverage to to develop anything I
2: don't think you'll be happy either I think that's the other thing because even in other sports even AFL which which probably doesn't need it but those players that aren't probably entrenched in it and probably go above and beyond themselves and think about their career after football find themselves washed up and have no idea what to do next Mm. because all they've done is played football you know whereas the guys that are thinking about it and get into commentary and go above and beyond to try and have a life afterwards or get into management and and those things Mm. are the guys that really enjoy football for their whole
1: lives as opposed to just the period they were playing mm, totally yeah and, and just being just a racer and focusing all your attention on just being a dirt bike racer is a very dangerous approach you know yeah. i mean Look, chad, chad. let's talk about chad reed i mean chad reed is a very smart businessman he 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 is 100 percent one of the street most street smart people you'll ever meet and involved in our sport and he he finished school at Six, fifteen, whatever it was, travelled through Europe. Done all his thing, and he's achieved incredible success on the on the bike. But also, he's very business savvy. He's he's, you know run businesses, done his own thing, run teams, done negotiates a lot of stuff on his own behalf. And you know he's had now the longest career you know in the world of Supercross, and that is because he's been able to do that, and because he's understand understood the business part of it, and been able to keep that ball rolling. Otherwise, he probably have had a right yeah
2: commercially him and Ali particularly have have done more for themselves in the last probably five ten years and and raised more money themselves which has kept him in the sport than than ever which probably he he, he wouldn't be racing would he and yeah. and a lot of it isn't just the branding on his bike or the branding on his helmet it's what they do week in week out to to push for those products and authentically promote the brands that are associated with him I think it's a Fantastic example because he's survived this long, mm. um, and he's he's had an, an amazing array of different brands associated with him as well. And and no matter what has happened in his team land, he's always c- carried a quite really strong sponsors throughout.
0: Would he would he have been able to be where he is now with that skill set without doing two two motorsports back in the day? Uh, probably
1: not. It probably exposed him. to Like I mean, so the business side he, was, of it. he was smart before then, but that really exposed him massively. To business running, business running, yeah. people. I think he yeah. understands the sport commercially now better than, than, than anyone anyone around him yeah. because of that. Because of that, experience.
2: and and I think leaving and going overseas, you know, just yeah. him That's and Ali as an, an example, yeah. that, that gives you life experience that people wouldn't otherwise get unless they're out there doing mm. it themselves. You know, that is
1: something you can't teach. You yeah. gotta learn that experience, yeah. and he's had hard lessons. He's like he's made you know shit tons of money, but he's lost money in areas, and he's had good and bad and being, you know, treated poorly in some instances and lost rides when he probably shouldn't have and, you know, experienced all the highs and lows. But regardless, because of that, you know, now coming out of the end of, you know, towards the end of his moto career, then, you know, he'll he'll have success in other areas of life kind of thing. Whereas he too many people, like you mentioned before, you, and he, I mean, if there was anyone, he's the best that we've ever created. So if there's anyone that should be just a moto rider and not anything else, then it should be him.
0: Yeah, not. for sure.
2: Yeah, good example of that as well recently is Chad... With even with us wanting to do his own VIP experience and, and creating that. You know, he's the first to do it in the World Championship, you know, and now he's bringing it out to our events. And that's a good example for all young guys and privateers and small small teams and, and riders is it still works for Chad Reid. It's a Chad Reid VIP experience. It's going to be the highest priced, but it's still that sort of idea and that experience could work for anyone. Mm-hmm. Just probably it's not the same price. You scale it down, right, yeah. And, and
0: I think... Um, yeah it's it's one of those things isn't it where if someone at chattery's level can can make that happen you know i mean i think the epitome of the, the the lack of understanding of the business model in the industry is there's still so many people you see online like oh i can't believe chattery's going to monster cup for free or oh, i can't believe he's right you know it's like okay number one he's not doing it for free like there's a lot of brands on that bike that are paying for him to do that event and he's breaking even i'd say at a minimum you know the Chad Reed as a commercial brand is not doing anything for free let's be honest Yeah, I don't know I, mean, um, I, don't know. I know he has <laughs> done I will say that yeah. he has done for a long, long free time. is a long term but what I'm saying is like people still have that perception that if mm-hmm. you're not on a factory team yeah, 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 you're, sure. you're doing it for free yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like for they're, sure. there are business avenues for someone yeah. like so. and Jack and, that,
2: uh, yeah. Yeah. and that's a short sighted way to look at it though because if you say ok he's doing Monster Cup for free rightly or wrongly what we don't need to we know how much he is yeah. right? but he's getting paid to do Paris he's getting paid by us to do Auckland he's getting paid by us to do Melbourne, exactly, yeah. so who's the smarter? You know, yeah. Yeah. should he have not rocked up a Monster Cup and shown that he can still run in the top twelve? You yeah. know, and he mm-hmm. could still
1: yes. st- yeah,
2: yeah. Can get into form and and show show himself, or should he just be hidden away and
0: then maybe not getting those yeah, those deals, Paris or, yeah. or other
2: opportunities? I guess know? that's what I'm saying is that
0: <laughs> if if someone at Cherry's level can put that program together, yeah. and then there's still that misconception. To the general public, yeah, you got to go. What's the missing piece here that people aren't seeing? Yeah. You know, yeah. um,
1: they got to say, yeah. I mean, he pulls the deals together himself. Again, yeah. yeah, he's not sitting back waiting for someone to call him to go. Oh, hey, we've got a ride for you. Like, he's calling him himself. That's Chad Reed. Yeah, you if know, you know mean, Ben. Chad like, so if it, he can do it, <laughs> why, why can not our young guys call up mm. and go, Hey, I'm worth this. You know, get on get on board with my program. Like Chad reid has got to the underwear deal. He's got a Boost Mobile deal. He's got the CVDMD deal. He's got Armor deal. Guarantee yeah. he put all those together. Same with his new Fox. His current Fox and Shift deal and all yeah. that. Stuff. Yeah, Foxes. It's, it's him. He
0: put, puts it all together himself. He's calling himself. If he can do it, yeah, you know, everyone else can too. I think there's certain aspects of you know at, at an earlier point in your career le- leaning on guys like yourselves that have that experience to get sponsors and maybe even engaging you to do some. Uh, you know proposals or help with press PR whatever it is right then you get to a certain point where you're experienced enough you should be able to do it by yourself Mm -hmm. Um, but there's different stages you can't run before you can walk and I hope people listening to this might get a bit more of an understanding yeah you, you you
2: don't you don't need management but you can also work with management, yep. you know, and Jackson Richardson, again, working with Alpine, perfect example, because he's, he's probably doing well enough on, on his own, but then he's reached out to those guys, they're collaborating, and it's a big collective effort. Mm-hmm. He's working with Sam Moore, yep. you know, obviously getting support from Fist as well, and it's just like a big
0: team, and they're all, all on the journey with him. Mm. Well, it's like that new, that new, I guess you'd call it that content, that pillar content model where it's like, with sponsorship nowadays, like you need the, the rider, the ambassador, and the brand, they can't have one without the other because the, the content and, and all the value from the sponsorship really comes out of the partnership. It's, I think, gone are the days of here's a check to go racing and hope you get good results, you know. Mm. Let, let us know how you went. Yeah. Like it doesn't work yeah. like that anymore.
1: Nah, and, and report back on the, the numbers, you know, because the, a lot of these guys have thousands of followers. And, like, a, a, a TV show, often, like, TV is really struggling these days. Often TV will only get 20,000 you know, viewers, for example. You know, Jackson Richardson can get more than that on his Instagram just by posting something and it shows all his sponsors, gets everything just on him, and he can get more viewership than if you did a half an hour TV show on him, for example. Well, and
0: that's something you guys do so well, and I really wanted to touch on that, is that not only as, a, as an athlete do you have a platform to, you know, to broadcast yourself to your followers, but you can literally show analytics and hard data to sponsors, potential brands, whatever, this is the engagement I'm getting this is the amount of followers I have this is what they do with my content you, you know and you can you can actually prove that more than, than people think as far as uh, you know approaching you guys or, or a basic marketing agency with the one hour consultation you could leave with the analytical you know knowledge of how to present that to people in a proposal totally it's not rocket science nah you know nah, I think people right. think it's well, I don't even know if they think about it honestly that yeah, that, you know Instagram, Facebook, th- those are tools, same as the platform that you guys provide with AusX Open, same as MX Nationals. They're platforms for you to, to create your own brand and make money, but you've got to understand the...
2: Yeah, and they, there's you just need to Google and, and watch tutorials on how to get that data out because mm. it's all there. Yeah. You know, right. you, We're not paying an agency to tell us how many Instagram views we get and how many comments we get and how many likes we get. Mm. And the reach, we're calculating it all manually and yeah. building it all over a year and then presenting it.
0: Yeah, you partners, and you, know. you publicly put that out there, and it's something that I, I like what you guys do with that because it, it's 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 great to see that reach and, and and what engagement you have, and you're always in my news feed <laughs> Like um, SX Open, SX Open, sorry, is it's always there, sure. you know. But, but yeah,
1: that, that opportunity. I guess what we're saying that opportunity is out for all those guys, yeah. all those athletes. They can all be doing that. They can all be doing exactly what we're doing and pushing stuff out in their channel, yeah. proving their value and 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 making money. It and maybe
2: looking at it which is is also thinking about laterally like for us Melbourne and Auckland are only in November but it's a year-round calendar so all our, our sponsors where we're do you know what can we do around Christmas for you to push out to our fans a promotion you're doing or what can we do in the, the you know the early part of next year you know so that they're partnering for, six nine twelve months as opposed to just seeing it as a one-day event yep. and I would I would apply that with riders and their championships is everyone's always just looking on I've going to race rounds one to five and they're in September or October to November but what are you doing for them but be- from January to August, yeah. you know, can you drive value then? Can you be doing stuff leading into their Christmas? Or when they've got a really important sale on, can you go offer you your time to go out there and help, you know, sell whatever service or products they're doing? You know, just think about all those things where you're giving back year-round because a lot of brands appreciate that too, as opposed to just one event, one one opportunity on TV or, one, you know, Melbourne, I'm going to be live on Fox and I'm going to be on Channel 10, you know. Well, yeah, that's, that is a big deal. But if you don't get on the podium, what are you going to do all year round to make up for all the extra value you can offer as well, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that's the other thing too, is not only these guys can push their own brands and obviously value for their own sponsors, but the sport themselves. I mean, we all need to be pushing the, the same direction. Like yeah. I think that's that's one thing as well Is that we sort of feel like from where we sit sometimes, and it's not with everyone because some are amazing. But there's kind of like a sit back and like wait for everything to improve kind of mentality. And yeah, that, that's
0: really not going to work. And it's definitely some, you know something that I think I, I we talked about it previously, but I want to touch on it is as you see uh, Supercross after round one, you know, Brisbane, and it was a tight stadium, it was an indoor event, it was an arena cross if you want to took it as, like, lap times and whatnot, but the riders on their social media, not all of them, some of them, and, and talking a little bit of smack about the series and the venue, and it's, like, you know, something that was addressed, you know, Kevin Williams did address it at Riders Briefing it, um, at round two and, and, and you know, just said, look, guys, like, this platform it works both ways. Like, you've got to back the sport that's given you a platform and make a living, and... Yeah you know I just don't think they under, if, if they give it the green light if, if a factory rider can say oh the track was it sucked or whatever or this event sucked or the series or whatever well then what is what, what green light does that give to the average Joe mm. with all the brands that are
1: the, the brands that are the considering sponsoring it I think
0: that's the like they're investing exactly. a lot of money into the series into partnering with you guys into partnering with the teams like whatever platform they're involved in right yeah if they see that it's got to be disheartening to go oh well Hey, we just gave your team six figures or whatever, and mm. and you're trashing the event you just raced. Yeah, it's not a good look. And uh, yeah, totally. You know, PR it has its. You know, sometimes the world's gone a little bit too PR crazy, but you gotta you gotta think big picture a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally. That's that's
1: the that's where social media can be your best friend and your worst enemy because you can when you're doing something great. I mean, our prime example was James Stewart. You know, year one, Aus X Open. We sold... Great tickets, and everyone was so excited because he's going to come out, and and so were we. And then he pulls oh, out, and instantly everyone that. everyone turned their back. And there was so much negativity that we had to deal with, you know. So it's great social media can be great because it can get out the great news, but it can also be just as negative, you know. On the flip side, if there's bad, if there's negative um, news being put out, so yeah, you've got to be really careful on that. And, and us as a sport, and and you know. The riders or, or, or no riders are doing anyone any favours by putting anything negative about the sport on social media at all. They're well, not doing anyone any favours.
2: Further to that, that the Phil Christensen series was racing in in Ruddlev Arena for for what over twenty years, twenty five years, yeah. you know, and no one <laughs> was complaining then. Work. And it was on live on Channel Ten, yeah. and it was, it it arguably made Craig Dack's career mm. and so many others. Mm. And he talks about it still. You know, it was like it was a mainstream sport back then. And people then, you know, I, I look at it and I'm really disappointed by everyone being so negative about Brisbane because, you know, Troy Ballas events took the risk on doing it there. They've tried to bring it to a metro city in Queensland and do it in a, in a fantastic venue. The track to me looked, you know, amazing for the use of the space and what they had. Mm. And then, yeah, so it's no different to Sydney, I guess,
0: too, oh, with us. They, and then you just
2: get shit-canned for the track and it's like, well... If if all of us just promoted outdoor events and we all had a terrible season which happened in yeah, SL right we could yeah, yeah. we could yeah it could have wiped him out we we would like the promoters wiped out lose all their money and then who's going to come in and promote the next it, yeah. year and why well, why, why would you with you know uh,
0: the previous promoters what, I can't remember, 2011 2010 whatever year that was um is that um, um, yeah, uh, was that then? Yeah. Super it, X. So yeah, Super X. And I think it rained at yeah. four out of five yeah. events and yeah. so yeah. every it single rained. round was a yeah. mother and yeah. and I don't think they came back from that, right? No, no that's no. right. And they're, they're, it's like,
1: it's so high risk. Like running events at the, at the level that we are is very, very high risk. So managing some of that risk is what you have to do. I mean, we, you know, in Kudos Arena and, and um, we did that for four years because that was the right size. It was indoor and we sold it out every year for that time. But we didn't go straight to Marvel Stadium year one because we 100% would have gone broke and that would have been the end of it, yeah. you know? So it's a process. Like, we've got to grow over time. We've got to have be sustainable for the series, you know, and the right reason why Super X um, went under is because it went so big so quickly. Yeah. It just wasn't sustainable. So everyone, anyone that wants to be negative about, oh, Supercross has gone backwards, it's actually wrong because that was non-sustainable back then. So you can't look that as the... Being a great success, but whilst they did a great job running the events, it wasn't sustainable, and they unfortunately lost a lot of money, which is why the sport has to go to a point where
0: it can be sustainable and grow. Well, you saw after after that Super X Series went away that the sport took a massive step backwards, mm-hmm. and it's it's I think you guys taking the, the the reins of it, and you see, you know, I spoke about it on the podcast last night, like between AME and TBE. Like, I hope I don't know the ins and outs of the business arrangement, but it seems like you guys work well together. And it's a sustainable platform that the series can grow from, and it, it's still growing. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone compares it to AMA or MXGP or whatever, but AMA's been around. AMA Supercross been around for thirty plus years, going to the same venues. Mm, you know, totally. um, and and also just to jump in on that,
1: AMA uh, AMA has twenty one million people just in California. Yeah. And and they don't have five rounds in California, but we're having five rounds in Australia with that same population. You know, so we're way behind on population. Yes, we're way behind on, you know, the
0: sport and money and those kinds of things,
1: but it's a lot of it's based on population. Like per capita, we're doing really well to have the numbers.
0: I, yeah, people do forget Australia has such a small population and I think per capita, this is even some stuff I've looked at in, in sponsorship proposals we've worked on, um, is saying, like, per capita, we have some of the biggest engagement and fan base, um, you know, as a nation for the sport, like... The the industry and the scene here is really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish the riders would see that uh, more. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think in general the learning from Brisbane is is we need to support the you know we need to support the TBES and we need to support these events where possible. And yeah, no, not every event's going to be perfect you know it's like we had it all the time everyone would say why don't you go into ANZ Stadium well what if we had the rain that X Games had that time that you know wiped out X Games X Games came and it's gone already it's you X know you wonder, yeah. like it's a and it's a, a global global brand global platform, you know yeah. and the rain destroyed them so we've we've decided that we won't go to outdoor venues because we it's too much risk and we and don't want to do five and years yeah like and if we get rain again next year, I mean, sorry, this year, it, it could just kill that, that lifetime of that event. So, you know, it's so much money at stake and it's so line ball in whether you make money or don't make money. You don't want then an uncontrollable element, no. you know, b- being out of your control if you can control it, which is, unfortunately for us, pretty much two or three, you know, what is one venue in Victoria? or well, two. There's obviously Marvel Stadium, Rod Laver, and then you've got kudos Bank Arena, and you've you've got basically Brisbane, yeah, and that's exactly. it as far as indoor stadiums. So right, it's even smaller. Again. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: But also, you know, I think people contradict themselves because I'll go, "Oh, the heyday of Supercross was, you know, back in the day. How great was that back in the day?" But it's like that was all those indoor little stuff Yeah, back, exactly. You know? and, yeah. And, and, and like you then,
0: you know. I, I think that I think nostalgia is a dangerous uh, yeah, you know people see right. what they want to see from it um, yeah
2: well that was live on channel 10 and live on TV free to air so that still you know there were small venues it didn't matter no, and that's no. that's the mainstream we need
0: to build back up to yeah. I think the environment was so different then on, on an entertainment level was in you know I, I say this to people a lot I don't know what your thoughts are on it you know um, I've got Foxtel we've got the internet you know I can sit on my couch and watch NBA NFL um, AFL I can watch the best of every discipline of sport in the world I don't have to leave my house mm. you know back in the day in the 80s and the 90s when you had those supercrosses um, the only chance you got to see uh, I don't know McGrath or, or whoever it was before then right was when they came to Rod Laver Arena you know mm. you saw them in the magazines but it wasn't tan you couldn't see them Yeah. Um, now there's so much success Accessibility, And I think the Aussie hero has got lost in that because now everyone's a fan of the world stage, not the domestic stage. Yeah. Um, and I think the only way you overcome that is by, again, having what we speak of. But for you guys putting on events, I think it's rough that you probably have that global platform and you've done really well to establish that, but a lot of domestic events probably struggle because they don't have that. To get someone to go buy a ticket nowadays, it's a big allure to, to get them off the couch. Because mm. why do they want to leave their house when everything's at yeah. their fingertips? Right?
3: It's,
1: it's tough, exactly, and that's exactly why though the sport, and the industry, the riders within it need to play a role. Like they, between all the followers that all these guys got, the the Australian Supercross Championship, just the Aussie guys, it's hundreds of thousands of followers. Mm. There's enough people to pack out all the stadiums and in all the oh, and, and slice over for and, sure. And we need that. And but not many of them. Promoting each round To say come and buy Tickets to Brisbane This weekend Come and buy Tickets to Go and see you guys There this weekend Not many are doing it mm. Not many of them I, Not many of saying Come to the OzX Open Or buy tickets At Ticketmaster You know what I mean But they sort of see That what's in it For, for them mm. Rather than going Well shit If we're packing These stadiums out That is something There's a them. lot of it For me a lot of well, it Well I think and,
0: and again Not wanting to preach But that us and them Mentality that I've mm. Certainly experienced I guess i I'm a media guy I don't consider myself a media guy, I'm just, just myself. Uh, I found I have different avenues to make money out of the sport, right? But I certainly noticed a, a, a change to people's uh, interactions with me on, say, when I'm at the races doing TV, some guys will, will shun it, they don't have time for it. It's, oh, you're media, I'm a racer. that whole, again, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. It's... it's, it's um, I get it, you've got to be focused to be a racer at an elite level, but you also got to understand that, uh, and, and I think that us and them, whether it's the riders versus the promoters or the riders versus the teams, like there seems to be this slight barrier that they put up as a collective that whether it's spoken about or not, I don't know, but you have to know what I'm talking about. So right? Yeah, yeah, and,
1: and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, honestly, the amount of people that and that have canned, you know, WM and the MX Nationals, for example because they should be doing this, they should be doing that, should be doing this, should be doing that. It's like, you know what? You can have your opinions, but unless you're willing to say, fuck it, I'll promote an MX Nationals, which you could, by mm. the way. Anyone Any can bring up Kevin and go, I'll promote it around, I want to promote one, I'm going to do it at Bacchus Motorcross Motocross Club, you know, mm. and they could do it and show everyone how great it should be done. Yeah. I mean, that you know, without being dicks, that's what we did with Supercross. We, we felt there was an opportunity there, so we decided we'll promote a Supercross, you know. But a lot of people want to say how bad things are but not actually go, oh, I'll go, you know, I'll do it or showcase or volunteer to help help, or...
2: Yeah, I, I would I would support that by saying they'd be quick to shit can how much signage was out or how much promotion was in in the town. But what were they doing the day before? You know, before the event, were they out there actually? You know, doing a signing session for free for fans and then giving out flyers and promoting them to come to the track? You know, yeah. if every team was doing that at different locations in the town the day before or the morning of, you know, and bringing people to the track, that would all be helping Kevin yeah. and the motocross yeah. too, you know, as an example. Oh, so it's
1: always, yeah, 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 like, always, yeah, yeah, yeah
2: getting me. on yeah. the radio station during the week and hitting them up instead of expecting them to call you, you know. Mm. And, um, and I
1: think, yeah, that, that's, that's what needs to change. The narrative needs to change from sort of like, you know, it's their responsibility being us, TBE, WEM, to, to make us famous and grow the whole platform. It's all of our responsibility. Those guys have something to gain. Like we need them to promote the events. They, you know, be the guy that tells twenty mates to buy tickets to 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 Wollongong this weekend, as opposed to being the guy that calls and asks for twenty for free. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I think that if everyone was doing that, that, that will change. That will change the sport in general. And and because people, you need T V to be successful. We need, we want them to make money. You need them to. You need WM to make money. We need Kevin and that those guys to have a successful series because. There's no
0: one lining up to take that over and do it. No, and it's um, it's needed. Everyone needs to benefit from... It blows me away that, power oh, the promoters, make they're making too much. It's like, again, the, the financial implications for you guys to run these events. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and if someone's going to risk hundreds of thousands of dollars, like, I'm sorry, like... If 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 those guys are going to risk hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they deserve to make hundreds of thousands if they can do it, yeah. you know what I mean? Because that's the reality of it. It's hard. It's a lot of work. And, and
2: there's not a million people lining up, knocking on the door, going, "Hey guys, you know, we want to promote Australian Supercross Championship mm-hmm. events. How do we get going? Like, mm-hmm. we, how often does that phone yeah, call have happen? Do you, do you know? I know. Yeah. For, yeah. So the yeah, with, with the last
1: ones to do it, and we want them to be successful for that reason. But you know, we've got to see. It's an Aussie culture thing, tall poppy syndrome is a bit, of, a bit of an Aussie cultural thing that you've got to overcome and go, we need to help promoters do well, we need to help sell tickets because ultimately that's what leads to growth in this whole thing.
0: It is, and I think there's, like to speak on promoters, probably wrap it up with promoters on this topic, but like promoters having a bad name for making money is, is you know, Kevin Williams on my behalf, like I owe literally most of my career to him and WEM and i won't go into details but he does so much for so many writers and people behind the scenes that never gets publicized and i'm sure you guys are the same like you you literally give jobs in the off season to these races you bring out like yeah it's a business you make money off of the event but why shouldn't you like you said you're the ones putting up the money yeah (laughs) we like to think we invest a lot back into which people probably don't acknowledge as well you you know where was Supercross? A few years back, you know, before the risk you guys took to put on OzX and, and same with, with the other promoters like TBE, you know, I don't know, I guess once you're on the business side of the fence, it's a different perspective on the sport. When you're a racer, you just see you're handing the promoter entry fees and you're leaving with no money and an injury or they F those guys whatever whatever you know but um I think that I mean that's an important one the entry fees don't even cover the prize money for any of the rounds nah.
1: none of them so people think they're, they're 200 yeah, or 300 so what's the entry fee to 240 bucks or something they really like that. think that
0: makes a, a, a big difference to to the <laughs> bottom line like it's that well, would
1: be it doesn't like I said the prize money absorbs all of that yeah mm. I mean, and we want to keep prize money but it's a hard one. I mean, other sports don't necessarily... Yeah,
2: apply. supercars doesn't have prize money other than the Bathurst 1000, as an example. You know, not all sports are just putting up bulk prize money. It's, not, it's not about that. doesn't
0: have prize money and... Metro GP doesn't have prize money. No, nah, it's it's a lot, you know, certain events do, but it's a bit we of wanna a... want to have it. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, yeah,
1: that... I think that it, that's what the, the purpose of, you know, this is good, you know, because it's just an education piece. People have just got to understand... You know, and probably get on the same team a bit. We, I think the industry, you know, it is tough for manufacturers at the moment. Bike sales are down, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got to try and flip the whole thing and be, we're all on the same team here. We all need to survive. We need the promoters to, to survive. We need the manufacturers to sell bikes. We need the gear companies to...
0: Everyone's got to get yeah, together.
2: Yeah, we need the team. riders pre-events going into local you know, bike shops and helping them sell product. We need to be doing everything we can to engage with fans and make our sport more accessible to the riders than any sport in the country. Because I think that's another thing is like the more we give back to fans to get them off the couch to come along, the better chance we all have of survival as yeah. well. So yeah. what can we do as a promoter to provide entertainment and what can teams and riders do to provide back to the fans and make them more accessible than other sports? Give yeah. back more than AFL does, even yeah. more than supercars because, you know, we're not a top 10 sport in the country. We're, we're not even top 40. So we need to be doing things better than yeah. those sports to, to keep building the fan following.
0: Collectively as a community. Yeah, everyone, um, everyone. You know, yeah, I think it's tough because there's so, you know, our industry as a whole is, is very segmented and it is, there's a lot of different dynamic like dynamics with stakeholders that the business model of motocross, like you have the manufacturers, the promoters, MA, the state controlling bodies, the riders, the... Um, the gear companies the importers like it the list is endless and 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 you guys promoters have to deal with every stakeholder within our industry right that doesn't happen with other sports i think it's a little bit more Mm. clear as far as it's simple i I don't know i might be talking i don't know other uh, industries but Mm. yeah everyone does have to it's it's tough because everyone's got their own bottom line and what they want to achieve but if everyone can work together and sing artists. on the same song sheet is yeah, probably the biggest thing we're saying yeah. is you don't you don't want
2: to can Queensland round one because that that doesn't do anything for anyone and we wa- we're watching the vision and producing Supercross life and and proud of the the shots yeah. that are coming out of there and the racing and the yeah. content so you know it, it's disappointing because the first thing we should be doing is how do we help you know TB build that into being bigger and better next year and what can we all do to build that up as opposed to you know because reality was it was shit weather and everyone was inside indoors in a fantastic venue watching great racing and a great track utilised in that venue and we should be all getting around them to build that into next year as opposed to pulling it down I don't think
0: one person left that venue saying that was a a boring show like you would have been on the edge of your seat the whole night but yeah um, let's switch it up a little bit now i i'm a big fan of people's stories and i don't i listen to a lot of podcast content obviously that's why i have my own right but um but now it's going to super detail but I, i want i'm still waiting for the the kid to come to me and say how did you get to where you are in the industry and i think people just want the happy ending they don't want to to see the years of work that came into it so let's start with with you adam like just a brief, how did Adam Bailey sitting here right now in the, the swanky Port Melbourne offices? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. But how did you go from the guy I met 10 years ago at Frankston, uh, had a, a Suzuki out of the back of his uh, Toyota um, yeah. You, You know, you just started, I guess you've been doing the management for a while on that. Like, how did you get from racer, youngster to where you are now? Like, what was the rough journey and the pitfalls and the learning curves? I know we yeah. can't fit it all into five minutes, but like yeah. I want um, someone to listen to that and go, Hey, maybe I'm, I could be at that first step. How so, do I take yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah, I mean hundred percent
1: anyone could because there's nothing special about this journey other than a whole lot of, you know, grinding and hard work, really, to be honest. I mean I I'm just I'm, gonna text
0: Ridden and say we'll call him in yeah. twenty as well, sorry. That's one on my phone.
1: Yeah, cool. <clears throat> I mean I um, I started, you know, I raced um, from sort of thirteen to 13 onwards, I started racing, I loved motocross, fell in love with it, wanted to, wanted to be a pro, that's all I sort of cared about, chased, the, chased that and raced around the countryside and as a privateer for a lot of years, um, racing supercross indoors and doing all that stuff, but, you know, I never did particularly great at it, but I had an awesome time, made the best friends that I've got and, and learned so many lessons along the way, um, I studied a, degree, a commerce degree at the same time. So further
0: education is, yeah. is definitely... Well, um,
1: yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So my, my trade-off with my dad was that I could race if, if I went to uni. Yeah. So that's why I did that. I didn't particularly want to necessarily go to
0: uni, but I did. I think mean, kids dropping out of school to race their bikes is something... That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it.
1: No, of course not. Yeah. Of course. Like, think about, like, your whole career and your whole life. Like, I think that's a lesson you can learn is, like, have something ready afterwards. And for me, that, you know, that was that was making sure that I had that degree before I was allowed I was allowed to sort of go on the, the racing journey. But then I think like after a lot of years of doing it and a lot of broken bones and, and etcetera, I sort of I'd set myself a time limit for twenty five to get serious about career. And at that stage I started managing athletes and not making much money at all. Cam Sinclair was uh, the first guy, I've got his one of his job hanging yeah. up uh, on the wall there. But um
0: I remember you being a big part of Cam's career. Yeah, mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, and as his writing career can Took off my sort of working career, you know, um, I guess, I guess, did, and did that and and got some event contracts for over a number of years. Did some commentary stuff, like some, you know, super bike TV hosting, commentator. I mean, at that stage, I just did anything I could, like you, to to just find a way to make money in the sport because I loved it and it was not much money, but just wanted to find any sort of job there was. And that media sort of announcing stuff was an opportunity. but after a little while met met um, Sando here and, and um, he was a, a sponsorship manager of Vets Supercars at the time and I had a great relationship with Rockstar Energy through um, through um, Camp Sinclair and um, and Rockstar wanted to sponsor him Vets Supercars so I, um, I introduced him to the Holden Racing team which was a whole other learning experience on its own but through sort of going to the events and I was just working um, just myself at the time off a laptop like it wasn't business at such really. It wasn't exciting. where it is now. Yeah, no, no, exactly. no, it was a very different situation. Um, but through that um, met met Sando um, and that was at the V8 Supercars and, and the Holden Racing team introduced me to him and we just had a lot of similarities in our careers and what we wanted to do and you know aspirations and just got along really well as mates too. We just hung out a lot and, and he came to some Supercross events. I went to a bunch of um, V8 events and, and we just got talking on, on that whole thing and ended up forming AME to, um, together. Um, and what um, year was that? When did AME form? 2012.
3: 2012, yeah. yeah. So at that,
1: up until that point, I'd been a labourer, a truck driver, done commentary on the side, yeah. sold advertising for Stroke magazine, a bunch of coaching, basically getting anything possible just to, you know, make money and be involved in the sport, really. Yeah. Um, but it was only really at that time and that time that we met that it could become an actual business. Um, and I had to secure a, a contract with the Water Ski Racing Championship, actually. Um, to be able to, to bring Sando on because he obviously had a full-time job and for him for the business to be able to afford both of us, we needed to have this particular contract. So at least we could yeah. work in it full-time for, you know. That,
0: that's contract term at least to get it moving, not right? Not much money, but we just needed enough, to, you know. We yep. sort of said we just need
1: enough to be able to get going and this contract was going to be enough. Um, and, and, yeah, I guess slowly progressed from there and sponsorship and, and um, you know, we moved away from sort of athlete management as such and, and into sponsorship more. And, and events was our thing. And, and um, 2013, we started working on Los X Open, really. Um, and it, wasn't, it was in 2015 when the first one happened. So, you know, since then, we've sort of evolved into sort of video content a lot because we realised that content was um, what sponsors wanted. Like, we found it was a more tangible thing to sell. We were trying to sort of sell sponsorship and sell, like, ourselves as, as people that could manage sponsorships. But we realised that brands wanted videos to and the content to sort of actually showcase their sponsorship so we developed you know production house at the time as, a, as a, a good friend in lucky russell that joined us to be our first sort of video Com- yeah. editor yep. shooter and editor and we um we eventually created a show for on channel seven um seven mate for called v8 life yep. Which, yep. Was the yeah, v8 series, which was eventually picked up by fox sports the next year um and we sort of evolved that that was four years now into
2: his fifth year, fourth. Yeah, yeah fifth year. season,
1: yeah. First of Supercar's life. Um, but there's that content and that sort of, you know, got the content PR
0: and the events is really sort of how we ended up where we are now, I guess. Mm. I think, and what I love about that story is I think if you remove one or two of those job roles you had, parts of the journey, this isn't the same now, you know. Totally, yeah, totally. People, they look at where you're at and probably go, oh, it's unattainable but they don't see the 20 years you've just put in or no. 15 years of, of of your career from being a writer to where it is. And that's, you know, what I hope people listening get out of this and mm. um, is that you don't have, you know, if you if you start off trying to be where you're at now, if you have a desire to be in the industry, just take whatever you can get and, and get I mean, moving with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, and contacts and, and networks. Like, I mean, all three of us are here and, and have careers through networking, really. I mean... Um, you know, the tail end of my racing, I realised that I wasn't, you know, to my heartbreak, realised I wasn't going to make it as a racer. A <laughs> uh, shadowing realisation. Yeah, a shadowing yeah. realisation, but I also realised there was benefit in getting to know everyone. So I made a, an effort to to go to the after parties, hang out with people, talk to Craig Dack, talk to Kevin Williams, talk to all the people make sure they knew who I was because eventually, you know, I thought it would be helpful to know all those people. And then similarly, uh, when I, had um, you know, the the VAT Supercars you know part and that um, sponsorship with Roxo happened you know meeting with Sando and then he introduced me to a bunch of people through Supercars because he'd spent five years building up his networks in that sport now he knew everyone that was anyone in that game so for me instantly I met him then all of a sudden I know everyone in Supercars as well and, and and it's just because of networking and what he is great at is that too. Yeah. So together in those two spaces, we just, we had spent years and years and years. Of Collectively. collective yeah. experience of like, you know, hustling, but getting to know people and meeting people and obviously you've got to do it the right way and, and do business the right way. But really from having no idea at all and just, you know, shit kicking, doing any job humanly possible. I ran events for Yuri Konsky back in the day actually, which I forgot to even throw in there. Yeah. You know, supercross as well, and just from everything—from putting up signage to, to you know whatever needed to whatever be done. needed to be yeah, done—and driving literally driving the machines and loading trucks of dirt, you yeah. know. And Sando's done. Sando was a camp brand manager at ben Supercars when he first started, you know. Like yeah, he's done every I'm shit Just assuming that
0: Sando, your career path is somewhat similar, like yeah, going from being involved as a racer and then finding your feet in the industry, right?
2: Yeah, so I was in in go karting and and. I was fortunate enough to race around Australia and race in Japan and Spain and and got to do a bit overseas which was really cool but predominantly did all my own or did all my own sponsorship and and helped fund that with my family to fund the racing so that was probably where I learnt sponsorship the hard way but also found a passion for it so i was always in sponsorship um i did uni at vic uni as as well and and got a placement with supercars out of that because right. i always wanted to work in supercars if i couldn't make it as a driver that was sort of
0: next step, yeah. what
2: i wanted to do and then yeah my f- my first job um was a campground manager for supercars i couldn't i didn't get the sponsorship role that i applied for um for supercars which i wanted so i started off as a campground manager and in the events of Supercars and then as soon as I could I think it was a year later I, I got that job that I wanted after proving myself in the events division and moved over into sponsorship and then stayed there it was, it was about four years um, and worked under the guys at SEL at the time which, which was headed up by Tony Cochran um, and another uh, guy, Luke Wilson, was sort of my mentor through that. So I learnt a lot in, in supercars and predominantly managing relationships, dealing with you know um, sponsors unhappy with a certain situation, how to work with them on coming to a resolution, and that was certainly my passion. And then when I met Adam. Um, I was trying to help a couple of mates out in racing as well, but it was conflict of interest if I was trying to get mates sponsorship as opposed to getting sponsors to continue spending in supercars yeah, it was a series, conflict. Yeah. So when I met Adam, it was a really good initial phase, that sort of first part of our relationship was actually getting Adam to help sling some deals to, and I was introducing the contacts to be like, if you can manage, you know, um, one of my na- mates in particular, um, you know, that that eliminates conflict gets us to work together and sort of gets us to sort of feel this out right you know whether because obviously leaving a big sporting organization to then go and start a venture with adam was for me considered a a risk at the time um (laughs) and and i could have gone to sydney and could have probably grown with supercars and and grown my role but i i believed in this you know and believed in us having our own Mm -hmm. thing together um, and as you said, yeah, the water ski racing contract was something I had no interest in whatsoever, really, as, you know, no interest in the sport, I mean, but obviously the events. And that's how we started. And then I think what was really enjoyable about our partnership early on was that we opened the doors for each other. And, and I felt like Supercross and Motocross was really welcoming. And considering, I, and I've been very open throughout that I don't have the experience and I don't ride bikes, but I, I do definitely feel like I've been completely converted and I come from a place of maybe representing those people that can be converted at our events and turned into fans because I have more respect for the athletes in this sport without saying too negative than some sometimes the athletes in supercars cause, because they train harder, they're fitter and they're more dedicated and, and I feel like more risk at times, you know, so... I think that's been really cool for us and we've applied both sports and, and the business AME has been hugely successful in supercars. It's been a big big part of our success, but also we keep investing our resources and our time in back into supercross and, and motocross, don't we? Like a lot of our resource and a lot of what supports our staff and our full-time business is supercars and then we give back to supercross and motocross yeah, you know when we can I mean, you yeah, know yeah. and that benefits our events but it also is probably not really seen as much as as well, obviously i, I, we'd I like, like that about across.
0: your business model too is that um if you were to rely on promoting supercross events solely i think no. that's a very yeah. dangerous business model it's not you, even a third of our business no. yeah you have a net income that you can support this it's a it's a decent size agency at this point you know with all the the different roles you guys have with you know representing brands content events um, but it's all an integral part of the, the machine, right? One yeah. can't really run without the other. So right. um, No, it's it's cool. Like I said, I think um, it's, you know, you took that job at, at V8s as a campground manager out of uni or, you know, you, you've done different job roles. It's the, the steps people take, mm. you know, the end game. You don't even know what the end game is. You just have a passion and you want to just keep your head down and keep moving and being involved, right? And, and if you um, just
1: in, love it and you're involved and you love the industry and the sport, then... There is opportunity for you. I think that's all we want, you know, you want people to know that, that there is opportunity there. They want to be involved in, in they love motocross and supercross and you want to make money from it as a, as a rider and then, you know, into another career, then there is opportunity there. You've just got to really put yourself out there like I guess we have. I guess, and,
2: and probably like what you touched on, Joe, invest in advice. Like we're still investing now more than ever in consultants and advice and I think it can't be you know more regarded enough I mean one of the first things we obviously did with the events was get advice from the likes of Jeff Jones and and then put um, Tony Cochran on as our chairman for our events who arguably we wouldn't be in Marvel Stadium without him and there's no denying that and we probably wouldn't have survived in Sydney without him and and his influence and we've got David Siegel advising us at AME now who's Craig Lowndes um Ex, ex-manager um, but now manages Jack LeBrock but he's one of the best managers in supercars history and had an extremely successful career and he advises us now on our business even after seven years and probably fairly established and pretty stable we're still paying for advice and you never stop learning and you're always better to to Pay people that are way more experienced than you, and made heaps of mistakes, and had heaps more experience to totally. g- to give that to you rather than make all those mistakes along the way yourself. Yep. Not that you don't make mistakes, but you know what I mean. You want to try and prevent the mistakes. Yeah, Certainly, in event promoting, you don't have the ability you know, to the make luxury. a shitload yeah, of the, mistakes. Yeah, You've true. got to get all the heads up, you know. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah so that, that as much as possible, you know, and that mentor uh, role, that education, like you said, investing in yourselves is. You know, even, even for me, like I'll touch on, on something real quick before we call Dan, like I've been involved in the industry for a long time and, and I've sort of switched up roles where, you know, had the gym facility, um, have been coaching full time and, and I, you know, I've got a, a kid now, I've got a family, I'm 32. I don't want to be living on the road anymore. It's time for that next step. And it's, I've always been able to leverage sponsors and, and keep my program moving through content, and social media and, and branding And I was like, well, that's sort of where I want to go with things. And and the podcast was one step to that, Um, you know, the inside the brand and and basically the mainstream version of that's ID Media. Um, ID Media Group is what I'm gonna be launching soon, which is, is, you know, content, consulting, and and digital marketing strategies, right? Um, Do I know everything about that in the mainstream? No, I come from our little world. So I've got a buddy that runs an agency, so I reach out to him and I say, "Hey, I've got a quiet winter coming up. What do you think? You know, I can come manage some accounts for you. I can go meet with your clients." And he goes, "Okay, well, what's your? This is coming back to what we've been talking about. What What's your skill set?" And I shoot him. I don't have a resume, but I go, "Hey, I created this for this sponsor. I've done TV. I've done this. I've done that. That's a job interview." Mm. I just reached out to him, and he goes, "Oh, yeah, nice, no, sweet. Come on board, right?" And then I've been there for the last three or four months. I'm finishing up now. I'm going to pursue my own stuff more now Supercross is here I've been able to, but what I achieved in Moto can leverage experience in the real world. And I don't think people realise that either, right? It's, totally. That's your business card, that's your, your reputation, what you've been able to achieve, it, it goes into other avenues. So um,
1: There's a massive shortage for people in Moto that understand sponsorship and how to leverage sponsorship and actually how to give back to sponsors. And each of those teams have multi-million dollar budgets in some cases, you know how they, they they could all use help like that the digital the content the pr all of them yeah. like you know if you want to experience if you want experience in that space or a career in that in it, like go to one of those teams and offer to help them mm-hmm. t- for that do it for nothing to begin with you know get that experience like that's what i'd be doing for yeah sure.
0: exactly like there's so many avenues that, that you can learn real world application to help hit you guys up for i don't know how many kids you have it should hit you up to work experience. Uh, yeah, volunteer time. Yeah, 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 that's right. Sure. Because uni,
2: the one thing for me, uni made me do that. Like, it, it sort of formalised the placement. But the reality was I just volunteered my time for cams and supercars and had to do, so, like, 140 hours, as an example. And then I went over and above that. But reality was if I just went and hit them up and volunteered my time and, and got the opportunity to do that, that still would have probably arguably led to the same sort of scenario, you yeah. know? Volunteering yeah, your time official. and, yeah.
0: you gotta you got to <laughs> learn a word for free to learn. Um, which not a lot of kids are willing to do nowadays, and yeah. I could tell the amount of gigs I've took in this industry for free, totally. But has led to uh, where I'm at now. I'm paying whatever it is, and the amount of people, oh, I can't believe you don't get paid for that. Well, it's big picture, right? Like,
1: yeah. well, I used to, and so would have you. drive to, I remember driving to Albury to commentate the MX Nationals, and I said to Kev, hey, can I come? I'll commentate for nothing, and I got someone to record it. To film it and record it, and then I sent it to Super X. So then, because then I could do the announcing. Yeah. And then I got a job with them, and I got paid something. But do you know what I mean? It didn't happen by not. And I, I would go to a couple of races, get recorded doing it, get them experience, get some practice, and then send it to someone to eventually get paid. But
0: I'd be willing to do that, you got to I mean, uh, I got the MXN commentary gig by funding a, a documentary YouTube series on my gym, mm. and that cost me thousands of dollars. Then Kev saw I was good in front of a camera and it wasn't the end game to get on MX I didn't even really have that on a radar, but by funding that doco series on my gym program led to, you know, where it's at now, but, um, all right, that's cool, Dan Reardon. Now, and, um, Dan, we, we spoke about uh, this actually a few weeks ago when I had you on, on the podcast show. And, and then when, uh, Bailey and I were speaking about doing this episode, we wanted to get you on as, as basically, like, you know, like I said before, you're one of the Aussie riders that really gets it as far as, you know, how to market themselves, how to have a personal brand and, and really have a strong following to leverage sponsorships and have some longevity, you know, in your career. So, yeah. um, Adam, do you want to hit in with any sort of questions on where to go with this? Or yeah, uh,
1: I'd I just love, Dan, for you to explain probably how you see it work or how you see why Why do sponsors partner with you and how do you make that work?
3: Um, you know, I've I, I sort of I've spoken about this before, but the way I sort of see is the, a sponsor is involved in, in our sport, maybe probably a lot of different sports, for three main uh, reasons or three three avenues in which that sponsor will be involved. One is generally they're a fan of the person. They know the person personally, and so they, they invest their money and time into that person. Two, that person is good at what they do. And they're a fan of the sport, also a fan of the, the person as well, and that's sort of that's the avenue in which they... Um, their time and money or thirdly is they want to return uh, on their money so they'll pick and choose based on teams riders you know along those lines and therefore they will they want to see it gets a little bit more uh, technical they want to see analytics and uh your reach potential reach um and therefore they want their brand to grow through you and uh, for me that has been pretty much the um uh, Blanket in which I start with when I, ch- I chat to a sponsor or a potential uh, company and so forth, and, and try and figure out which is their method, and and sort of make sure that I do my job to suit their needs exactly how they uh, how they picture it. You know, and I th- I think understanding is understanding what they want and what why they involved is the the first question you need to ask. It's not about hey I ride a dirt bike. Some guys give me some money for a sticker. That's pretty cool, right? It, it's not. It's so much more than that, and I think that's what people really need to... The younger riders especially really need to wrap their head around that.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and, and I want to touch on what you just spoke of there with the younger riders, because my question is, you know, your career had a, a hiatus. You took a step away. It was probably not the most um, generic path you've took to where you're at now, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. When, at, at what point would you say or what age did, did you get that you have the ability to brand yourself? Because obviously you went from factory rides in the States, coming back, factory rides in Australia. Then, I mean, I, I don't know what you did on your time off. I know you had your gym and you started branding yourself as a business there. And then yeah. before you came back to racing. But at what, at what point did it really click for you where you thought, hey, I'm um, understanding this as a business model now? Well, I think it was a
3: little bit forced upon myself in the early years, uh, things were a little bit different, you know, when I was 17, 18, 19 compared to what they are now, um, but we had, which I think was a really great idea, when I was riding for Factory Cowley, we actually had media coaching and training part of our contract, you know, and that was just part of our deal, um, I believe I learned a lot through that whole process, uh, and they were just small things, right, on how to write press releases, how to stand when you're getting interviewed what to talk about, what not to talk about, you know, how to steer a conversation in a particular way, and, you know, that was, you know, obviously a long time ago, and then from there, uh, going to the States was a little bit daunting, because I didn't really know the process or what was involved, because I was, I never really grew up as this kid with, like, heaps of these things, like, I wanted to, I was a fan of this guy, I would really look up to him, I was sort of, like, enjoyed riding dirt bikes, right, so, and then I just happened to get fast, and things sort of progressed from there. But I never really, really had, like, I had a manager and he was a, a family friend and he sort of managed the affairs based on visas, uh, living requirements, things that are needed uh, in America. But someone to go through and sit with sponsors, you know, day after day or year after year and negotiate on contracts and so forth, a lot of them I was present for so I think that it was just one of those circumstances where you get thrown into this environment. You you, you know you don't really understand it at first, but you quickly learn how to how uh, to develop that. You know, and um, you know it's you, people have said this a thousand times, but if you don't ask, the answer's always going to be no. You know, so just put yourself out there. You know, understand that a no is a good answer to have. You know, just get get used to getting nos, and eventually you'll get a yes.
0: Yeah, it's funny the, um, the the conversation we've had for nearly the last two hours now. Um, you've just yeah. you've just summarised most of those points <laughs> of what we've touched on uh, as far as how we're trying to educate the riders essentially on how to become a, a brand, how to leverage sponsorship, yep. and, and help themselves. And I think in that three minute little combo you just had with us there, you've summarised.
3: You at the start. And we're getting, <laughs> yeah. <so laughs> <Okay>. But it's different, right? Like when you when you approach, and I'm not a manager. There's guys that obviously do an amazing job in in all aspects of sport and uh, and so forth as managing athletes and and people. But you know, just my experience is that is understanding when you go after a brand, you need to understand um, what 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 do you think they want. You know, you've got to make sure it's not when you get a sponsor or a brand or a company jump on. It's not what you receive. You want to make sure that you're giving back something as well. You know, be proactive about it. Ask questions. Involve yourself in the, the promotional side of it uh, because it's only going to help you. Social media is obviously free and it goes everywhere. So, you know, just just be seen always. And, um, you know, and that's a pretty good start. You know, it, it, it is daunting. To, you know, for a young kid, I was talking to... Um, Jack, I can't say his last name called the Cooners, Cooners,
0: yeah, I think
3: Coomers. it is. Yeah, yeah. Cooners, yeah, so he sort of, is involved in now, um, the Supercross track up with him in Queensland, and, you know, he's had a couple of conversations um, with me, he just asked a question, he's like, I just don't know how to approach a sponsor or a team or whatever and just ask the question, I just, like, timing is, sometimes is imperative, you know, there is always a right time, but sometimes there's not ever a right time, and you just need to make sure that if you're not comfortable, at least just, be professional about it, you know, look half decent, try and find a little bit of quiet time, be respectful, regardless of the answer is no or not, and just have a bit of a plan, you know, ask some questions, if it's not going the way you want it to go. Don't beat around the bush. You know when people ring, when you haven't heard from someone for ages and like, Oh hey Dan, like how you going? So like, can't like get to the point like uh, you're ringing you, you ring me because you want ring something ring <laughs> just, just ask me, you know. It's, yeah. it, we can save all this other stuff. Just ask me. it's a business, so I just if it's, if it's a business transaction just ask, you know. And honestly that's the best way to be. Mm, I think yeah, you know
1: it in the sense that uh, you're obviously a confident person but you've got to be comfortable and okay with people who are going to say no because they're just going to that is going to, you know. Like you're going to get no more and yes, that's life, that's business, that's you're a young lad trying to pick up chicks, it's just the reality, you know, you're going to have to get used to it and be okay with it, and and mm-hmm. then you've got nothing to lose by calling someone and saying, hey, you know, I mean, we talk about it, you know, uh, ourselves, I mean, we get rejected every day for, for sponsors and things and stuff we want to do mm-hmm. at Supercross, you know, it happens all the time, but you've just got to be able to, to, maybe you can steer them around or you can, you know, approach it a different way or ask them what's it going to be to turn it into a yes and be okay with that, but... I think you know, yeah. you, you know it, and there's a lot of young guys, and you can understand when you when you you know 16, 17, 18, you are going to hate getting a no, but just going oh, totally. to get used to it as exercise. It,
2: it's a percentages game, so it's if you applied, there, you yeah. know, like three or five percent might be a yes. So you've got to hit 100 people up to get three or five sponsors. I think that's a good example, right, Dan? How do you um, help Dr. Homes, you know, sell sell their business because that's the sort of out of industry sponsor probably a good one to talk about
3: yeah so like i've been with d after uh three years now i think it has and um you know i sat down well one of the most important things you just it's not a phone conversation right so i went and we sat down we worked on a um a like a marketing scheme on what we were going to try and achieve you know this started a few years ago uh, and then they also got involved with the sport a little bit. So they were obviously they sell homes, right? So they it was a bit of a target audience based on where they're a Queensland company. So they pushed a little bit harder up in this particular area. But actually, you know, brand awareness throughout Australia, especially with social, is super important as well. So then we just sit down and we say, hey, look, we, we did a couple of videos through uh, my house because they built this house as well and it was a little bit of a unique design. So, you know, everyone lives in a house, right? So it's just about when that time comes when you are going to purchase a house who do you look for you know these just giving awareness to people that hey look this, this is a, a brand that i work with but they're actually a very solid company as well the house is amazing um and we that is pretty much the direction that we try to push through people um they, they're a fan of the sport as well uh they you know the fans of they've I think they might have a Chad jersey in the in the office somewhere. They've, they've been involved in the sport for a very long time, you know. So, um, yeah, we uh, we have another meeting uh, coming up soon, and that's just based on future stuff as well. How do we continue the relationship when Supercross is finished and um, and go from there and, and play more of a stronger
0: ambassador role for uh, for their for their company. Um, one thing I want to touch on too, Dan, is you have. Um uh, your dri- the drivers, I believe it is—is is that the name of your, mm-hmm. your 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 new business with the, the driving and? Yeah, the drivers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what we've discussed so far on this on this podcast is is also understanding how your personal brand as athlete is is able to allow you to open new doors into different industries and different ventures. And I know you do your stunt driving. You have the drivers, um, which you can fill everyone in on, on what that's all about, mm-hmm. but. How, how was that transition and, and did being Dan and so to speak, make that easier for you to, to have that sort of um, acceptance in a new world?
3: It does a little bit, but it's just like
0: going to school, right, or
3: going to uni, and then if you go get a new job, um, they're going to ask what your experience is, and you're going to show them that you you, know, you have a, a bachelor in this or a degree in that, and pretty much just what riding dirt bike has over the last you know 20 years or, or 30 years, I have, I don't know what, I, I didn't go to uni, so what's the highest level you can, you know, what I mean? like what, yeah, what's no, the, no, the highest no, level you can achieve? And that, is, that is pretty much the same thing. Right? So when I go into another industry, if I can use what I've already got, then, of course, it's going to make it a little bit easier. So, for, for example, this industry has a lot of talented people and they come from all walks of life. Um fortunate enough that I've been successful over the years in, in racing bikes, transitioned to cars, you know, probably the last, um, six, seven years um, Just for a hobby and, and for fun So I have a ton of experience in there as well But because of that Then it's easier to open up A particular set of doors um, Because the level of skill Is so high and that's just Because of racing, you know what I mean So um, that way There are there's a lot of skills In that industry that I don't know I do have to learn, but at least a door gets opened to say, hey, look, this, I am really good at this, but I'm willing to learn that. You know, you really and... yourself uh, out there to say, hey, I'm going to have a crack at
1: this. I mean, that's the thing, too. Yeah. The opportunities, like you're a stuntman, you're you know, a drift driver, you're, you're making movies and commercials during the day, as well as a pro supercross rider. These deals they hmm. just come up because someone just come and tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're a good bloke, I'm keen to give you a shot. You know, like no, you went of back in the to
3: make this stuff happen. Yeah, no, of course not. And, you know, you've got to... It's, it's, it's a different world, right? It's a completely different world, the, the film industry. and um, You know, I'm doing like little roles on the ground and, you know, I'm training on mats. Oh, you, there's, there's so much footage that you guys haven't seen. You know, i have been embarrassed to show you, but it's just part of the process, right? And the way I look at it is you are starting again. You know, I, I may have been, yeah, you know, and I'm still obviously racing dirt bikes and I, I've reached a particular level, but when you go again, you start again, you know, and you've got to make sure... That the ego that you may have in a particular field when you start again, you can't bring that with you because guys that don't know where you've come from are going to go, this guy's a dick, you know, like they they don't care.
1: And the other thing is, Dan, is you're doing that stuff whilst racing and, you know, you've been on the podium in the first, you know, first two rounds in the Australian Supercross Championship, Mm -hmm. you're going bloody well, so... There's a lot of people I think that make the excuse and, and tell me what your thoughts are on that you can't work and be a, a racer in this country and you can't have anything else like you just have to be a racer. That all these things are happening whilst you're being a racer. You've been an international racer and you, you're in the top of the sport. How do you? How do you
3: feel about that? Yeah, like I think you definitely can. I do prioritize my time um, a little bit around Supercross season, uh, like. You know, since the season has started, you know, including the pre-season, I've probably only done three, uh, probably three small stunt jobs. Um, you know, work at Movie World occasionally, but honestly, the, I just, I force it into my schedule, but then I force, I change my schedule when I can around it. So if I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to have a couple of days off there, I know I've got testing coming up here, I'll just insert something, because I've still got to stay relevant, because it's an industry that I've still got to be new at. Um... And I just make sure, like, I had a meeting uh, two nights ago um, about uh, a bunch of productions and stunt work and so forth that have come up early next year. And It's important for me to do this because I have to be an athlete, you know, this particular time of year, and obviously for actually the most of the year. But it's really, really important that I have the other part of my life um, secure and working on towards the future as well. So people can... yeah. Especially in Australia, but people are very hard on, on on people if they're doing something other. If you're not doing like a thousand laps a day and going to the gym for seven hours as well, then you're not trying hard enough. You know, we really need to get rid of that persona. If you're just if you're just working hard and you have a solid team and uh, you're putting the correct hours in, then for sure use those other hours towards something else that's going to help either what you're doing already or
0: something that uh, that's going to be future longevity sort of stuff. You know, I think it's it's really really important. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think, um, like you like you said there, there's there's time in the day to use to, to future endeavors. And I just think, yeah, the youngsters, it, it's something we discussed earlier. I think that the life, the life cycle of a race is quite short, and, and I think you've proved some longevity coming back. And obviously, look, you're an elite-level guy as well, so that's certainly held. But I'll,
3: I'll, I'll, I'll never know. forget this. I'll never forget when I was... Ross McWaters, a lot of you guys know Ross McWaters, awesome guy, was uh, team manager for Cowie for a number of years, he'd been around the industry for a long time. When I was 16, uh, 17, sorry, and I signed with Factory Cowie, one of the first things that he told me that I was just like a light bulb, and when I start flickering they'll just unscrew me and put a new one in. You know, and yeah. it was like the harsh reality <laughs> that he yeah, <laughs> <all right. laughs> You know, and that stuck with me forever. And you've got to understand you're only as good as you, you know what I mean? Like you, you've got to be, it's not that you've got to be careful, but you, you've got to take risk. I, I totally understand that we all take risk, um, But you've got to understand that we are a, we're a product, you know, in the, in the real, uh. The rules of it we're, we're a product we're getting used because of a certain palette and we can market based on what we have created but once that stops if we're you know there's a reason why the guys you know tense and back have less sponsors than the guys up front right like it's just it, it's simple but um eventually that will all stop for everybody
2: yeah and you could have definitely given up after doing your achilles last year after auckland as an example and just packed it all up which I think is, you know, a true testament to your tenacity to come back and be as fit as you are and strong as you are this year as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it, injuries, um, like injuries, suck. You know, I know that you guys, even just sitting in the room, have had a um, had your fair share as well. And uh, when you talk to somebody about injuries that aren't really used to it because of our sport, because of the rate of it is so high, it's not really the pain. And yeah, we do think about the the. Uh, The risk involved it somehow, but normally the the worst thing about injuries is that you work so hard to get to a particular point, and you you every time you get injured, especially a substantial one, you it's like starting again, you know, and you get over starting again. Um, So I had to go through that process entirely, you know, and um, it does get old. But there's still a part of me that really enjoys this, and it's I still look at I still race basement because i enjoy it but i still race because it's a business for me as well i can still make good money racing um the longer that i can stay in the racing world i I honestly believe it'll help me transition stronger into the stunt world as well because it gives me relevance um i enjoy the sport i want to see the sport get better and i want to be more involved in that and i've spoken to a couple of you guys and um you know when the you know the years to come i think i will insert myself somewhere in the in the sport to be uh or just to help in in some uh in some manner way that i can see fit and um yeah like i said i'm not ready to, to stop yet and injuries may come again but
0: uh, at the moment it's, it's one of those things you just accept uh, for sure it's um i think that's a great insight dan thanks thanks for your time on uh on the show here tonight, mate. It's um, definitely going to give everyone a little bit of context to the stuff we've been uh, rambling on about for the last couple of hours. So um, yeah. I won't take up any more of your time, man. But hey, uh, thank you for for that. And we'll see you uh, this weekend in Wollongong.
3: No, worries guys. Looking
0: forward to it. Thanks. Right. Well done, Dan. Thanks, Cheers, mate. mate. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. Um, Dan Ridden. That was... I mean, what I like there is that literally... It, in, in the first five minutes of that conversation I think he kind of summarised the key points we've made over the last couple of hours so it's totally. good, good to know we we're on the right on the right track right? yeah and
1: he's just a prime example of someone that puts himself out there and because of that he's got a ton of things going on he's able to keep making money doing what he loves he's, he's racing very successfully but he's also able to have other things going on in life and, and other successes and he'll have a great career when he's finished racing and he's real about it you know, and he's putting himself out there doing it. Those opportunities don't just come And,
2: and doing what he's passionate about, like that, the, you know, the stunt driving stuff led from him being really into just learning how to drift and, yeah. and drifting as a hobby. So, it's I like mean, a he didn't course, speak yeah. another language or speak anything scientific there. He was really straight to the point. And I it think real it's, it's a perfect, player. perfect example. And he's he's an amazing ambassador for the sport and, and most sports in general. So, yeah. And for the kids
1: to look up to, I think if you're going to, you know, and the parents of those kids that want to turn their kid into the next champion, like, look at someone like him that's got multiple things on the go. And, like, I think the risk is that, you know, there's talk of when Chad Reid became really successful and, and became a world champion and started making millions of dollars, it was almost a very dangerous thing for our sport here because parents just started pulling kids out of school and thinking that's they're going to make millions of dollars. That's the end game. That's, that's yeah. the end game, but it's, it's not, you know, they've got to have an education, you've got to have these other things going on, have other interests and... Absolutely, they can make a career racing, racing bikes, absolutely, but don't do that at the, at the I guess, the expense, the expense, of, the expense the future. of the future yeah. after that, you know, because there's a career to be had.
0: There is, um, and I, I say this to people a lot, like I, I came up racing out of Europe. There's one kid I grew up with, Tommy Sell, and Tommy and I grew up pretty much in the same region. We raced each other our whole childhood. The only guy I can say that I've come up with in, um, like I said, the 30-odd years I've been around the sport nearly, that I don't know if he's going to be able to retire, but he'd be somewhat on the way to being comfortable. Everybody else whose parents remortgaged their houses and pulled them out of school and here and in England, it, you know, there's one per generation that's that Chad Reed. So for everybody else, by all means, you can be involved at a professional level. Just just have a plan, right? So, all right, guys, we'll wait two hours and 15 minutes in. Um, I think that's probably a, a decent length for hopefully people to learn from what we've been talking about and hopefully they get something out of it so um yeah adam and ryan from ame appreciate you guys uh reaching out and, and helping us do this podcast here at the studio and i mean at the offices, sorry and um yeah thank it's you now no you're welcome mate thank you and uh yeah we appreciate it appreciate what you
1: guys are doing as well
2: yeah thanks for the opportunity i think it's awesome for us and we appreciate you know these platforms too. There's guys like yourself pushing these podcasts, and podcasts are a new evolution of this. And I think it's 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 great for everyone. It gives us a a way to all talk, you know, comfortably to people, hopefully wanting to listen and learn more. And we're all here to help. And and everyone needs to work together. So it's a great opportunity.
0: Obviously, well, the information is out there if you want to find it. So um, all right, you'll probably hear an outro next, guys. But um, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you soon.